Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... I'm Davey, and I'm generally opposed to puns, but to Zinch his own. This is Eric. Give me a Zinch, I'll take a mile. Uh, I'm Aaron, and I wasn't going to do one of these dumb intros, but then uh, something changed my mind. In this episode, we come ashore at the coasts of Tusks to the great city of Excelsius, somewhere in the realm of beasts. Foul plays afoot, and we'll talk about where the Age of Sigmar is headed now that the Realm Gate Wars lie in the past. We'll also talk a bit about our continuing monthly Warhammer night here in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I too, am doing great. <laughs> and, well, I heard one voice that was pretty familiar. Davey, uh, that's you, right? That's me, hopefully. Well, who's, who's the other chap? Uh, do I introduce myself? I mean, that's kind of rude <laughs> if we don't introduce you. Davey, who is it? Yeah, so we've got uh, Aaron Bowler, uh, longtime friend of ours and friend of the podcast, um, and he's helping uh, lead the way with this uh, push for Warhammer here since uh, in Madison since Age of Sigmar got on its way. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't sign anything. No, no, we signed it for you. I, I'm very good at forgeries, so uh, that's why you are getting the checks either. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, there, there's a lot of zeros on that check. They're, they're all before all before. Yeah, there you go. Uh, um, yeah, man. That's well, fun. welcome to the podcast. So glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. What, so we've uh, talked about you having you on and reasons why you shouldn't, but I'm glad we finally kicked all those to the side and and had you on. Yeah. Sure. I mean, uh, there's been a few callouts as I've brought up before, so <laughs> I'm here to set the record straight. All right. Oh, good. Well. Please do. This well, is your opportunity. Yeah, what, what's on your What's on your hobby table? If If anything, if anything in recent histories go by, it it should be absolutely nothing. Yeah, right. Um, I'm staring at uh, what do you call it? A, not a, yeah, a mock crusher in pieces. Like that counts, right? It's off the sprue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Very hobby cool. achieved. <laughs> and uh, I heard a rumor that every single one of your oryx has some paint on it. Yeah. Also true. It's true that you heard that rumor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told you that rumor. You, you started that rumor. It's true, uh, in and of itself, is a different story. But yeah. yeah, yeah, this is no, it's cool. Off of the case. I wandered over your table and was uh, astounded. Um, so no more, no more uh, green skin realm of shadow uh, battles here. So that was a good idea. Yeah, no, it was very themian narrative concept yeah, armies. Just, I think is the term they like to use over in the UK. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. the name of the game here, right? Yeah, the 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 Ulgu Rumble Shadow concept army where you just prime or leave plastic. Yeah, yeah you have no idea where they're coming from. They leap out of the shadows. Yeah. So it's uh it's Iron Jaws, yes, based on yeah. yes. Oh, all right. Correct. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm a big fan of the big fan of the models. Um, they look cool. Plus, I was tired of waiting, so that was when I decided to jump in. Yeah. For an army. Yeah. How's are you pretty intimidated by that maw crusher? Uh, yeah, very much so. Though I guess with the scales, that'll be fine to dry brush, which is sort of my mo. Um, so I, I guess I look forward to that. Yeah, those should dry brush really nice. It's a good one breaking on. We were talking a little bit about that painting, painting large models, and uh, after years of painting dwarves, coming around and painting the Saigor was uh, kind of a mind blowing experience. Where I was like, oh man, yeah, like, yeah, can't just hide all my mistakes in this armor and beard. You know. There's, Sure. Huge swaths of skin and muscle. So, yeah, yeah. and we're going to be talking about Zinch looking at that. Uh, uh, those, those, what are they called? The Kairos model. Like, I, I don't, I would never 
go anywhere near that one. Oh, yeah. Fate Weaver or the Lord of Change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've heard that yep. from a number of places. Like, people, people are like, that is a beautiful model, and I don't think I'm going to get it because I'm too intimidated by it. So um, that that says something about it right there. But I'm, def- I'm definitely... I was definitely thinking of uh, Zine Charming when that came out, and I, I was hoping that we'd get a, a cool new uh, Lord of Change model. But, yeah, I'm, I'd be intimidated by it mm. for sure. I've, ne- I've never seen you shy away from a challenge. <laughs> well, I, you know, whatever. I, I Yeah. I'm, I'm just laying my heart out here, you know. I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm We're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. Uh, Davey, what have you been up to? Well, uh, I think since we last recorded, I went to PACA, so I had to get up to speed with my uh, bone splitters. I got a unit of five boar boys painted up, um, and of course, they were the very first unit that got killed uh, in the first game <laughs> I played with them, so well before Star anything goes. else. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I I was also throwing them forward wildly, so as as I felt like they should be, uh, but I was, I was pretty pumped with those. Um, finished up my uh, my war doc, um, and I need to make some progress there. And then, um, realize that, uh, I need more since, uh, I put this army together prior to the general's handbook, the Slanesh army actually is short on battle line. The, the host of Slanesh, um, has only, uh, demonettes as base battle line. So you got to go digging for your battle line elsewhere or get a bunch of demonettes in your force. If you're going to be ready for match play, uh, and I have all these weird things like I could kind of go Slaves of Darkness so that my Knights and Marauder Cab would count, but then that that edges out these other units, and then I don't quite get up to the point. So it's a it's a weird uh, multifaceted puzzle that I'm I'm trying to get together. Which is all to say I am uh, working on a unit of gore um, that uh, will try to match the skin tones and style of the Cygore, which also ties in with the Slanish as a whole, uh, the, nice. the Force as a whole. So. Uh, those have been my latest pushes and uh, terrain, actually, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I got a Dreadstone Blight uh, assembled, primed, and painted, and a Woods uh, assembled, primed, mostly painted, just the foliage to finish off. And I'm working on a Overlord Bastion, so many projects that I can flip back and forth to, as well as helping my daughter paint her uh, miniatures too, which is whichever ones nice. I'm willing to sacrifice to the. Uh, to the four-year-old goddess of use every color I can find on every yes. model. So. so, like a bunch of Slanesh stuff, then, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, they'd fit in with a Harlequin army, maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's uh, it's fun though. She she enjoys it. What are uh, what are you working on, Mister Eric? Um, let's see. So work's been pretty crazy. So I haven't been able to um, uh, work on top of that. Um, I'm moving, so getting the house, you know visible for open houses and that sort of stuff has me has meant um not keeping as much stuff out to work on so um some of my hobby has been organizing and getting ready to move um i kind of plug along on my soul blight army so i was able to finish up my uh unit of five um blood knights which was pretty fantastic and uh Got to share them on Facebook and on Twitter and got a lot of love for those um, using the Spite Revenants uh, heads yeah. as uh, vampires. And, and it's it's really kind of taken off. A lot of people are using it um, and not – I mean it's – somebody would have figured it out. You know, I'm sure somebody else figured, saw it at the same time or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I mean it's just a, it's a really good head for vampires and I'm seeing lots of it and it looks stunning. So excited for that. Um, I decided – I was trying to figure out um, – 
because again, my death army, uh, every unit is for, pulled from a different, uh, different army and made undead. Um, for Vargeists, I had this crazy idea to put, um, Dark Eldar Scourge feathery wings on two, uh, iron job, uh, auric brutes and, uh, and, uh, make, turn them into Vargeists. Um, to work and it seems that one decision in particular has made everybody fans of it and that would be uh, the little red fez on their heads <laughs> yeah uh so they kind of got this flying monkey uh feel going on so uh really enjoy i've had this these iron jaws since the the release but i wasn't I had decided not to build a, a whole army i just had a box of brutes and and uh, i'd painted one up to you know, to kind of try out and I really love the models. They're great. Um, so it was, it's cool being able to use those. Um, and they're going to be really fun looking in the, in the vampire army. So I figure if you've, if the Vargas are the crazy uncle of the, of your, you know, vampire, um, court, you know, uh, some, I, I would think that if you had some vampire orcs, you'd be just as likely to keep them down in the dungeons, uh, away from, you know, the the galas and stuff yeah. uh, as you would have argist so the more civilized uh, yeah. sucking brutal yeah and then uh we'll talk about it a little bit later but uh, i guess my other hobby's been a little bit of uh event organizing um so uh lots to talk about there but uh yeah so that's kind of not as much uh plastic and paint um but uh yeah like you said terrain and some event organizing so yeah, I mean it's uh, it's been a good couple of uh, good month or so, but uh, yeah, excited to to get going and there's some really cool things to to talk about in the community phase. Yeah, well, speaking of, let's do it. <laughs> the community phase. In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. So this month, we are going to bring you our own community event to uh, advertise, Eric. Yeah, so... Smooth um, transition. Yeah, yeah, we're smooth operators. Um, You've seen it on uh, Twitter, and uh, you've heard it talked about a little bit. There's not a lot of information out yet about it, um, but that would be uh, Coalescence, the global uh, Age of Sigmar narrative uh, event that... uh, a group of uh, what we call NEOs, uh, narrative event organizers, um, have started working on. Um, and uh, what's what's really cool is it started off as just a simple idea of, hey, could one uh, part of the NEO, um, us as NEOs is why we're trying to organize as NEOs and just kind of share that And is we want to grow more narrative events. We want more narrative events to play at. And when you have the more events you have, the more that kind of trickles down into the everyday gameplay and what people are are used to and get familiar with and and feel comfortable playing. And narrative play is sometimes a little bit harder to get into than than uh, match play. So um, one of the things we thought we would do is um, one put together an event pack, uh, write a, a pack together as for an event, um, something that would be super easy to do um, that anybody who is thinking about running a narrative event or any event could pick up and um, with our support and help and you know questions and, and feedback could run an event in a local area and then um, you know unlike you know I, I don't know that you could do this with a match play where 
if you have a bunch of events in a lot of places, make that aggregate mean anything from a match play standpoint. But certainly from a narrative standpoint, we saw that with the season of war, that if we have all this aggregate um, kind of activity at the local levels, and then we can pull all of the results and put that into a narrative, that that could be a really cool way to just celebrate narrative, celebrate um, new event organizers in our Age of Sigmar community, and uh, you know, kick off um, you know, just a really kind of exciting, new, and interesting idea um, in the community. So um, yeah, really excited for how that's coming along. Yeah. And uh, so like you said, we, we've got, uh, it's not just us here it wasn't just our idea right no no yeah the so some of the the teams um the team from raw um the teams from uh realm hoppers um some of the uh um, steve herner from uh, the holy wars uh, that's that's coming up um and uh, a number of uh podcasters um, have gotten together um, that are narrative focused and and so just a lot of different ideas and there's ideas beyond just this event as well um, and certainly you know just continuing to grow community of people that are doing narrative but yeah a lot of ideas um, there's going to be uh, a pack that helps people you know run events you know how would you talk to a venue how do you um, drum up uh, um, attendees etc um what kind of, how do you organize a schedule, et cetera. So there's a lot of knowledge in that team about doing that. And then how do you run these games? Um, how do you run this event and hopefully maybe do it in a way that you can play in the event? How do you, you know, um, and then just how do we make sure that people feel like they're all part of it? And so there's a lot of these questions that this whole team is kind of trying to, to answer and um, uh, execute in a way that, that will hopefully have a, have a strong impact on the, on the fun that people are having uh, during this event. Right. And I suppose we should say the event is scheduled for June 10th of this year. So it's a Saturday. Um, if you're interested, um, there's you go on, you know, find us on Twitter, go on the TGA um, dot community forums. Uh, I hope you can find us on Facebook um, and raise your hand. If you're interested in running a narrative event and want to do so on this day, you could have, I mean, you could do an event with four players. Yeah. You're, um, you're welcome to raise your hand literally, but we'd like you to do it electronically on any number of places, <laughs> but preferably the, the TGA forum where Eric's keeping kind of a, a running, running tally. Um, how many you got so far? Do you know? Um, I think we've got uh, 13 hands raised. So there's going to be uh, on June 10th at the very least, there's going to be 13 events happening uh, on the same day and of various sizes. Um, and uh, they'll be held at uh, local game shops. They'll be held at uh, libraries. They'll be ha- held at uh, some different locations. And I heard that some of the raw terrain is going to be coming out for uh, oh. that event in the Cambridge area. So nice. um, there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff happening that day. And so hopefully you can either, if you can't find a place to play, um, maybe you can run an event so that people in your area have a place to play that day. Yeah. So, and like Eric was starting to say before I so rudely interrupted, he, you, this is something you can do with, uh, two people or four people, 10 or 20. Like it's, it's a mm-hmm. it's scalable, uh, if you want to be able to participate, just mark the 10th of June and, uh, get your name in the hat. And it doesn't matter if you don't have a, a roaring crowd of 60 to, you know, descend on your local game area so yeah participate at the scale that makes sense for you and we have more information coming on that absolutely um then uh what what's this uh, we've been hearing about general general's handbook number two 
Yep. So uh, at this point, we know a, a, a second general's handbook is uh, rolling out, and uh, and one thing, you know, a whole lot of attention has been been given to the uh, the match play. Like there can be a, we've already seen some with South Coast where the uh, points are going to be uh, shuffled on some things. That's that's good and that's healthy for match play. But uh, I think one thing people sometimes forget is that uh, General's Handbook, the original one, had three ways to play, and I'd expect uh, three ways to play to be still represented in the in the additional or in the in the new edition as it comes in. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on what you would like to see as far as that goes. I think just generally uh, more scenarios. Um, I know we, we we have quite a few, especially uh, with them sort of scattered throughout the campaign books and the, the battle tomes, but mm-hmm. the more the merrier, I find. Now, of yeah. course, I haven't touched all of them yet, but, I mean, I will one day. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess uh, I'm interested to see, like, a, the, the points thing is a, is a known... Uh, you know, a known quant like not we don't know what the points are going to be on on everything, but we know that they're going to be shifting. Um, we can expect some scenarios to shift, and but I'm mostly I'm interested to see you know what what's in there that we're not expecting. That should be that should be interesting. So, but I think you're right. I think even from a match play perspective, uh, new scenarios are are good for the health of the game. Keep things moving. I don't know how uh, familiar you or the listeners are with uh, some other systems like. Uh, uh, like the privateer press war machine and hordes, but one way they keep their, they try to keep their system fresh is they have a, a new season of scenarios every year. And so they, um, they create movement within their, uh, overall metagame by shifting what the base scenarios are. So that's another way to adjust the game beyond just adjusting what models you're using or what points are attached to those models. Sure. And then I guess maybe furthermore, I mentioned the fact that there's a lot of, um, Battle, what are they, battle plans in, yep. in the different books, sort of spread out a bunch of different books. So if they were able to maybe identify, I don't know, some of the better ones, they wouldn't even need to come out with new ones, just maybe highlight the ones that they already had sure. and put them in that central location in, in the General's Handbook. Because I imagine that's a more widespread product as opposed to, you know, this battle tome here or, you know, this campaign book there. Right. And I'll put you on the spot here. I know, like, in your your uh, OCD style, you have been collating uh scenarios and all that sort of thing battle plans i should say across them i don't know that's fully up to date do you have a sense of how many battle plans exist out there do you have a oh it's not fully up to date though i can look um keep going and i'll find (laughs) all right eric any thoughts yeah i mean it's it's an interesting conundrum in order to get out you know a yearly release and update and make things fresh having points then also in the some of the battle tomes is a little awkward um but i i think it's kind of part of the the training us to be a little go with the flow and like you know as a player base train us to just not worry too much about it and whatever comes comes and part of the the great positives of of things being able to change and evolve is that it's going to get messy a little bit and it's going to have you know odd twists and turns and that in the end we're gonna it's going to get fixed it's going to be fun all that kind of stuff so i'm really looking forward to what they do i hope that um again like you've talked about i hope there's some cool new stuff for narrative as well um i know the path to glory stuff will be cool if they get that for everybody or expand that um but uh yeah i think that there's a lot of opportunity to just it could be a completely different book that has lots of new different things in it and so you've got both books that help you 
you know, play games. Mm-hmm. Like the, the what if General's Handbook one, the points might be obsolete, but what if the rest of the information is totally new? You know, so right. that's that's interesting. Yeah. And the new handbook doesn't have to replace the old one; it can just build on the old one. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, we're looking at around a hundred battle plans that I've got. <laughs> Man. Uh, wow. So, you know, talking about, I know there's people who've played, I've not come close to playing a hundred games. Um, I know Kenny Wool's played close to a hundred just with his fire slayers. And, uh, I get, I bet I, I haven't checked in to see how far along Matt Sprange is with his, uh, play through all the, uh, but even that wouldn't, you know, because that, that number that hundred includes all the, you know, three in each battle tome or so that, that have been happening. So, yeah, I, yeah a lot of them are army specific. Sure. Which is all to say, I wonder if there's anyone, I wonder what the closest anyone's come to playing them all at this point. But uh, Have the have the listeners chime in. Chime yeah, in. sure. Give, give, give me your rough number of how many you think you've played. Um, guys, I'm not, guys, I'm not hearing anything back from them. Oh, no? No. Did you turn your, turn your speakers up? Oh, no, I'm still not hearing anything. Okay, well, they're probably just uh, cutting you out of the conversation, going to the, the real power behind the throne here, so. Roger. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we're, so we're talking about big changes that are coming with the general's handbook. And, uh, as with all things, change is, um, is by its very nature, Zinchian. Uh, we're having some big changes just came through January, come and gone at this point. Uh, but more significantly, they and the, the new Stormcast on the way are, uh, the sort of model representations of somewhere where the storyline is going. Um, we're having some big changes with how the Stormcast chambers are set up. We're seeing some, more uh feral models i guess you know with the uh not raptors the uh ranger types the vanguard hunters the chargers yeah where they uh now they've been in contact with the mortal realm some they've they've adapted their uh fighting style to match what the the new demands of the new campaign are at least that's what you know that the book is not in our hands yet so but this is what i anticipate so is, do you do you think that uh you know somebody went through reforging and they came out like with lighter armor and a pelt on and like what the, <laughs> well, what now what is it? yeah uh no i don't know um i that's that's one of the things i'd be interested to read in that book is how they developed that and what's we talked about this before. One nice thing about a developing storyline is that if you want to add models to it, uh, you can say, well, you know, events have changed. And now these, you know, like the extremist chamber has been opened. All right. So now we got Stormcast extremists uh, rather than having to retcon every time you want to add a new unit to to an army. So that's well, cool no, one. I mean, they just they needed to find the demigriffs like in the woods. That's yeah. how they showed up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, so you, nice. here you don't have to do as many backflips uh, or or just rely on the uh, uh, the deep dark woods to reveal what you need. So, um, but that's part of what we're doing here today is getting into some of that story. Do you guys got anything other comments? I, I know uh, the the January and the new Stormcast have been covered extensively by other casts, and I'd I'd like to not retread ground that others yeah. have covered well. So. I guess the last thing I'll say is that they give a shout out to everybody playing at Holy Wars. Um, uh, this may have come up while they've been gone, or, or it may be passed by the time this posts. But uh, uh, our tokens will be part of the the game pack there. People are playing with those on the table and having a lot of fun. So just uh, just hoping that uh, Steve and the Holy Hammerers have a have a good show this weekend. And uh, you will not be there. Nope. Uh, all right. 
just uh, grinding it in. I didn't see it pack either, so I guess uh, somebody doesn't care about the hobby anymore. So, no. <laughs> Don't <laughs> you move. do a podcast on Age of Sigma? <laughs> I'm bringing in the 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 heavy hitters now. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get on to the story phase here. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. So we're going to be covering two things uh, here. We're going to be covering City of Secrets and uh, Battle Tome Disciples of Zinch. Uh, kind of especially trying to focus on what it tells us about the, the larger world of the Age of Sigmar uh, and cover some of the things there. Uh, so City of Secrets, novel by Nick Horth, and uh, I'm not as in the know as those those fine gentlemen over on the combat phase, but uh, I'm not familiar with any of his prior work. Do we know? I think this is his first one. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. It's uh, bringing a new guy in for a new phase of the Age of Sigmar. Uh, well, let me clarify. I think it's his first book. He does, if I understand correctly, like some of the background fluff. Sure. Fair enough. Um and uh, Aaron, you had a good point here. Before we jump in, this is this is maybe the first time since uh, since the very first like Gates of Azir that we really need to spend a little bit of time of figuring out where and when to place this. There were a few yeah. times during the the Realmgate Wars where we're like, oh man, this you know this phase during uh, God Beasts, you know these campaigns went on for months. Well, this one we really don't know how far past. We know we're past the Realmgate Wars. We don't know how far past. You shed a little light on that for us. Well, sure. So um, I think we, we want to deal with the when and the where because yep. they, they, they weigh sort of uh, heavily on the, on the story we're dealing with. So um, the when, as far as we can tell, is, is either part of or soon after the season of war. Um, so that's kind of when Sigmar was uh, you know, making strides, taking, taking territory in the mortal realms after the, the Realm Gate Wars. In fact, uh, the city that we're dealing with, which is the where, is going to be the city of Excelsis, mm-hmm. um, the city of prophecies. And in fact, that's, it has a little quick blurb in this uh, season of war itself. It just sort of mentioned that there's this city out there. So it's not one of the ones that they were you know, fighting over in that season of war, but it was sort of a contemporary of it. Oh, that's so, a good catch. Um, I didn't realize it had already been mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Um, along with some volcano city that I forget the name of. <laughs> sure. It begins with a V. Anyways, um, but so the when is sort of uh, part of that whole that whole movement of Sigmar, um, you know, claiming territory, you know, planting his flag. Um, yeah, the, I I can even was, maybe uh, uh, drill that down even a little tighter because the the main character we'll we'll introduce him in a bit here, but he describes himself as second generation reclaimed. Which is he was he was uh, of the second generation of the people that were already living in this uh, in this realm of beasts area near the coast of Tusks uh, came to the city like now Sigmar has arrived and he's so he's he's been born since the Realmgate Wars uh, were concluded I guess so uh, we're looking at I don't know maybe forty fifty years have passed would be a rough guess maybe less than that 30, 34, I don't know somewhere somewhere in that range but that gives you a sense. Uh, that so there's certainly times at which it feels like the culture has had quite a bit of time to mature um, or at least some of the culture of azir has come and and had time to kind of evolve a little bit or become more you know unique to the setting mm-hmm. though in, in some ways it, it hasn't evolved either right like yeah in terms of how they look on each other but i guess we can probably get into that later too um but so that's that's a pretty good win uh, when it comes to where I mentioned is that the city of Excelsis, the city of prophecies, um, in the realm of beasts, uh, uh, nearby where a, a piece of malice struck 
the the earth and or, malice guess, is for those who don't remember oh god i think part of the world that was yeah exactly it's a, it's another name for the world that was uh, called the the spear of malice came down carved a, a big bay out um in this realm of beasts and now it's this cool like towering shard of rock um at first i was envisioning it as like speared like straight down sticking way way up in the sky i think it may be more like if you think of a uh, almost like a, a huge like crash star destroyer or something um i don't know how'd you guys envision it i was definitely thinking more sticking straight up i mean it's a little more like um you know you gotta go out to um a garden of the gods in in Colorado or something like that, where you've just got these weird, where the stone structures seem like to defy gravity. Sure. Um, so that's that's how I like to imagine it. All right. Um, I I thought that way too, but then immediately forgot all about it. it doesn't really come up again. But um, yeah, no, it, it, it could be any number of things. I mean, depending on how it, a shard sort of dislodges and then relodges itself. Right. You know the room. Um. But and, and I guess the reason I, I even bring that up and why that's important is because it, it makes the city important, which is, I think is sort of rare. Up until this point, um, a lot of the settings that we've been dealing with have been very interesting and very unique, but I don't know, in some ways kind of discardable. Like in that when, when we're sort of dealing with infinity, it, it's hard to uh, assign importance to a lot of these places, but I, I felt like this one was specifically important because it's along with the other Season of War cities, like a... A location a focal point for, for yeah. Sigmar. Yeah. Well, I think I think once you when you t- talk about a place and it has this this awesome kind of thing that makes it unique, it's it's one thing. But when you tell a story where you see how it actually affects a population of people, how they change their whole you know like way of life around this, um, and specifically with this chunk of malice, how these tiny little shards of it can give. Um, uh, give the 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 person who grabs it or owns it or whatever just a glimpse into a possible future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just how it, you know it's kind of like the gold rush, right? It's kind of like um, this idea that um, that anything's possible. You could find your you know find your your fortune or you know find something in these shards has brought a lot of people to this place and for. It it just makes for a really interesting dynamic that is that I think makes it this like low fantasy setting very AOS right right so yeah. I, I think Aaron really hit on a, an important point there here like we've talked a lot about how it's cool you have these near infinite possibly infinite mortal realms where any story you want to tell you can tell it because it's open but then if anything is possible then how do you you know how do you make it how do you create stakes, right? We've talked about that before. Like if, if the stakes don't exist, uh, then who cares, right? And so that's that's going to be the challenge um, for the writers here. And during the Realmgate Wars, it was clear what those stakes were. Now uh, now they got to create them anew, basically. And that's that's what uh, they're forced to do in this. So anything else about the uh, the where and the when, Aaron? Um, just generally, I, I like the fact that it was on uh, the realm of beasts because it, it it gave a reason, and we'll get into it. Um, why like the regular defenders weren't there? Because when you're in the realm of beasts, you're, oh, you're, yeah. I imagine you're beset on all sides by quote unquote beasts, or in this case, the the oryx. Um, mm. It's very much a wild setting, so you, you, you're not surprised. It worked for the story to sort of show uh, uh, why the defenses aren't necessarily there, which again is sort of a future sure. discussion. Right, right. Uh, 
yeah, so they are they're on the coast of Tusks, right? So we we fear, we find out that it's uh, the city of Excelsis, and this uh, we already talked. This spear of malice has come down, and, and shards of it, it it has infused a lot of the area with the the ability to prophesize or see the future. And as with all things, you know which future is the true one, and uh, it goes down all the way down to uh, the currency of glimmerlings, where. You know, you might get enough to give you a guess at what the next card might be in a game of cards or something like that. But, you know, talking about inflation, what if the other guy's got the same thing? What if he's got a couple more? So there's some interesting uh, things to roll over in your brain there. But uh, one one cool point is that uh, this harbor here uh, has big, uh, it's a tall, broad iron oak and red bark masts of, of human ships and gleaming metal chimneys of strange steam-powered contraptions that are Duarden and then the elf, uh, wolf ships festooned with trophies from all the uh, impressive sea creatures that you'd expect to find in the realm of beasts. And they appear to be like the, the enforcers in the harbor here. Um, and as Aaron mentioned, uh, it starts talking about the defense of the city. Uh, it's guarded by uh, three chambers of Stormcast. The, um, you've got the Knights of the Aurora, you have the Sons of Malice, and you have um, the Knights Excelsior, I don't know if they came to Excelsis exactly for that reason. I don't know. Uh, and then uh, drawn to it. Yeah, ten ten regiments, uh, seven of which have marched out uh, alongside those three storm hosts to uh, respond to a Auric invasion that has been massing. And the prophecies said, "Hey, this is your chance to wipe them out. Maybe, maybe give uh, give the city a chance to be free of some of these raids for a long time." So they set out and. Knowing what you know at the outset about this book, that it's going to be involving Zinch and uh, betrayals and stuff, you, you right away you're thinking like maybe something's suspect with this whole um, whole situation. You know, has it been manipulated? Uh, I think you're just uh, you're reading into things, Davey. I mean, when you have something that causes you to empty your city of most of its uh, soldiers, I mean, it's, there's nothing that's going to go wrong. It's okay. It happens you're all a the time. Paranoia. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, talking about one of the remaining regiments, uh, the cold guard, uh, and it talks about some of the, the sense of these, all these units have been out on campaign and there's a mixed sense of, Hey, I'm relieved to be back and not having to be out in the wilds and get my butt kicked day in, day out by the greenskins. On the other hand, um, it's a little bit boring and it's a little bit menial to be back doing this while other regiments are earning glory. Uh, and speaking of menial jobs, we get right to Corporal Armand Callas, and right away you know he must be a main character because they introduce him by his full rank and two names as opposed to the rest who are only getting one name. Um, but they're they're going through, he does spend some time, you know, here's this guy, here's his squad, and uh, he ends up leading the squad because his sergeant is uh, calling in sick, so they're going out on patrol, and as they're moving through, they start going through a, a part of the city called the Veins, which I thought was pretty cool. It's basically the the super slums of the city uh, that have been built all kind of haphazardly, and they normally just avoid this because like the the more lazy sergeant who's normally in charge is like, yeah, no, you know, we're not we're not bothering this. But uh, the corporal's a little bit more of a straight shooter. He's like, no, no, this is our assigned role. We're gonna go do it. And they they come upon a uh, a cart sitting back there. Uh, with a couple guys, and then it's a rainstorm going down, and and uh, the story that these uh, guys pulling the cart 
give is a little suspicious. They say, you know, uh, you know, we're stuck here. It's a heck of a night to be pulling, uh, pulling ale. And, uh, Corporal Callis is like, I don't really, I can't think of a tavern that's near here. Are you, you know, you, you sure you don't need help or you've lost or something? They say, no, we're fine. So, Hey, I'll tell you what, we're going to check it. They throw the blanket off and it turns out they're, these guys are auger smugglers, uh, or that's what they're thought to be. There's all these dark blue glowing crystals under there. So we've talked about that, uh, the ability to tell the future, like it's suffused throughout the city and the, the resources of the city. Uh, and I guess there's a, a black market trade for this. And, uh, this turns out to be a full on ambush. So, uh, it's a pretty visceral scene. I don't know if you guys, uh, had any thoughts about that, but, uh, they, they are getting wiped out in this real kind of brutal alley ambush and Callus only managed to escape by throwing himself in, uh, in the cart and getting the, the beast of burden to, uh, go charging off. And he goes on kind of like a, a crazy ramshackle hayride, uh, and gets out by the skin of his teeth, badly injured. Yeah. I, I thought it was especially brutal because I feel like in the fluff up until now, like when we're dealing with battles, I mean, obviously on a much larger scale, like for the most part, it's been stormcast. And all there are, although there are like some stakes, I mean, on a day to day, there's not that many stakes for a stormcast when they just sort of shoot off into his ear again mm-hmm. and just sort of shift to watching just like humans getting mm, dismembered yeah. to a degree. Yeah. It was so jarring. Like it, it was very much, I mean, I've heard it said that this book is very similar to a lot of the, the low gritty fantasy that, that that's out these days. And I'm like, Oh yep. That's, and it was i I think what uh he did a decent job of driving that home by he did introduce each individual person in this patrol and so he thought you know you didn't know where the book was going i you kind of figured callus is probably a a main character and was gonna get through but i thought you know some of these guys will get through with him but uh not a one and you know they don't they didn't all get glorious deaths a lot of them just went down quick and quick and nasty so um Hard and fast. Yeah, one of the things one of the things that happens though, as part of his escape, is he is he falls on top of all these crystals that are getting uh, smuggled out, shatters the the vials, and all of a sudden he's kind of think about being in like a little kiddie pool full of you know prophecy crystals, and so on <laughs> top of being like badly injured, he's he's uh, wildly hallucinating all these uh, images of the future. Uh, he sees Excelsis falling at the hands of a, a wise and crooked old man who he he doesn't uh, necessarily recognize, but he's you know. There's there are actually a lot of things you know like a uh, a a valiant knight slaughtering innocent people you know like there were some there were some wild and crazy stuff that you, you weren't quite sure how that tied in one way or the other but uh, it sounds uh, like every time I've hung out in a kiddie pool actually <laughs> yeah uh, it's uh, the I'm slaughter going... is real <laughs> um, awkward well yeah I guess I mean I'm glad I have you on for the chaos episode then. Um, and so he, he escapes, but he's, you know, he's badly here. He's trying to lay low and here's the problem. Like if you, uh, one of the things he notices as, as they're in this, uh, in this alley fight is one of the, one of his ambushers, he recognized him as being another guardsman from his own, you know, from his unit, another member of the cold guard. So this is the first indication he has that like some kind of conspiracy thing. So now he doesn't know who to trust. He's trying to lay low, uh, and, the word is out for him. Somebody somewhere has put it out that this was a black market deal that was organized by Callus, and he slaughtered his own guys in order to sell a bunch of glimmerings, and he, he screwed it up. But now he's like the most wanted man in town. So he's got nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. 
And uh, he comes, he's uh, discovered by Hanover Tall, another guy who gets two names, so you know must be important. And this guy's a member of the Order of Azir, but he's known colloquially as what, Eric? Uh, as a witch hunter. Yeah, you guys had uh, kind of an extensive conversation about this while I was off at Wapaka. I was not able to catch it up. How did you, how did you feel about the, uh, the appearance of witch hunters in the, uh, in the new Age of Sigmar setting here? Well, I know, I mean, so... I mean, that's it's kind of part of it is we when we started reading this, Aaron and I started talking about like, yeah, how do you fit this, you know, kind of human um, and put them kind of at the same level as even, a you know, a Stormcast or, you know, um, one of these other heroes? Like, how do they how do they even play at the same table? Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of that was before we read further into the, the book. Um, and I mean, Aaron, what what? And having read it now, I mean, what, what, I guess, what were some of the, those initial feelings for you as far as, okay, how do you fit the witch hunter into Age of Sigmar? Yeah, sure. And actually, you, you, you alluded to the fact that reading more actually sort of smoothed out my edges a little bit. But um, at the time, I don't know, I felt like it was, I don't want to say forced because that's hard, hardcore, but just generally, it, it's hard to reconcile sort of the, the old versus new in that like the witch hunter was sort of quintessentially old world quintessentially empire and like it, it had so much connotation so much sort of i don't want to say baggage either yeah. but it, it came with a lot of preconceived notions on it and to see see him basically copy and paste it in the age of sigmar was just a little jarring especially when you're dealing with like what you said um sort of greater powers the demigods that are the the storm cast oh, mm-hmm. um and so that at the time maybe rubbed me the wrong way but through reading the book and then also sort of interacting with the, the Zinch battle tome, it really drew to yeah. the forefront that, that they are sort of serving serving a purpose that I can I can get behind. Yeah, I think, you know, part of the question was like, okay, so we're now in the realms that are just, um, you know, all magic. Um, and like magic's coming from everywhere. And so who is the witch hunter hunting? Like, um, because if it's, if it's the magic, if it's just chaos... Um, you know, and then, you know, or is it, you know, any magic whatsoever? Um, and then once, once they hunt it out, what, what could they possibly do against magic at the epic scale of, um, you know, the age of, of the, the eight realms, you know, like that's kind of the question that we started off with is like, how does, how, yeah, what role, how do they even, how do they affect this little person, this little almost singular gnat like thing affect um, anything in the in the realms. So yeah, exactly, like if you were to drop them into the realm gate wars, like you're looking for chaos, just look out your front door. Like you're not looking for <laughs> chaos; chaos is looking for you. Right. Um. And so, what, like you said, what what purpose are they going to serve? But like, we're sort of in a new age. We're we're past that realm gate wars. We're we're set in, uh, creating settlements and things. And in those, in this sort of new um, colonial age, I guess. Sure. Uh, they, they are necessary. Um. As we as we find out in the story, yep, yeah, and I guess uh, to me it, it felt like you know you know he's got a he's got a companion with him this uh, one eyed horrible smelling dwarf. Uh, it, it feels almost like he's filling the role of uh, inquisitors in in the forty k universe, which I don't know if that's a good touchstone for many people. Sure, um, you know it, you can you can bring the might of the stormcast chambers to bear but you have to know where to bring it right and uh now that there are 
human cities in like Aaron was saying, it's a, it's a new age. Now that there's human cities back in the mortal realms, you can't just come and sledgehammer everything you need a little bit more fine tuning. And I, I guess that's, uh, you know, seeking out corruption rather than necessarily seeking out magic or whatever. But yeah. Um, all right. So Hanover tall and Kazrug, his faithful dwarven compatriot with mysterious backstory, uh, about how he got tied in here. Uh, they, his, yeah, his gem eye. His what? Oh yeah, right. He's got one eye missing, and it's replaced with a blue gem. Mm-hmm. Nice. I mean, of all the things to replace it with, that's rock eye. Um, yeah. So for for Kazrug, do we get a sense of what kind of dwarf he is? I don't think like, he's he ever, a. Is he ever physically described I, beyond the eye? I don't think he's a fire slayer. If that's, uh, I mean, I didn't I, get that. I didn't sense get that in, yeah, I felt more cosmopolitan than that. Uh, and yeah, his his weapons are the more cog type, so I'm I'm thinking he's more of a steamhead. Sure, I mean I'm not I'm not implying that there's you know this is indicative of anything in the future, but just generally yeah, I try to keep an eye out for stuff like that. So yeah, I wonder yep. if it's part of that. So uh, and and I know people have been making this like a sort of binary thing between are you steamhead or are you fire slayer when talking about doors, but I think there's actually three, right? I I think we've got uh, or there might be, you know, you've got fire slayers, you've got the dispossessed, more cosmopolitan dwarves that are, you know, probably mixing and matching in, you know, iron weld arsenal sort of thing, but have been in these cities in Azir and now out in the mortal realms that are mixing with all the other races. And I'm wondering if it's possible that there are hidden enclaves of, you know, Grungi worshipers that may be, you know, maybe what's coming down the line, but yeah. uh, full on, uh, isolated dwarf societies. Um, so it's it also, may not be a either or. It may be a one, one, two, or three. So sure. Also, in post, we're going to have to go back and replace all the dwarfs with Dwarden. Just so <laughs> take care of that. All right. Well, the one one thing they say over and over about uh, uh, Kazrug is that he smells. Yes. It's a super stinky guy. <laughs> so. So that's not, and, the fourth fourth Dwarden. That's just the smelly ones. The, yeah, the stink Dwarden. He, he doesn't have any. <laughs> He doesn't have manners. He yeah. just he doesn't have any etiquette. He doesn't give any, you know, uh, doesn't take you know, doesn't care about anybody else. He just pushes his way through you know places. If if he's walking around, he just you know shoves people around like he's yeah. not a likable person. Right. But but I think the thing he serves the most as here is to quickly say, okay, this crotchety dwarden that you don't like trusts this. Um, this this uh, toll right. Mm-hmm. He plays the the foil of you know if anybody if if he can get this a hole to like him, then he's got some he must have some valuable you know like character right. Sure, yeah. And uh, toll is set up in these in this act as being like hey look again actually going back to this inquisitor idea like his value is less as like a, I'm an amazing combatant like he's able to do some stuff but he's more resourceful for his investigative abilities and his quick wits than he is for uh, for any you know raw combat prowess, which maybe Kazrug brings to the table. Um, although we'll find out he's no slouch later on that point. And uh, so, speaking of those investigative abilities, uh, the member of the order is you're here, Hanover Toll, is kind of put together like, hey, we've had a couple suspicious deaths or not so, but two prominent prophesiers. Uh, have died recently and now there's this auger smuggling thing and clearly this callous guy uh 
once he managed to interview Corporal Callis, he's like, this guy's not some mastermind of a black market thing. He's, you know, kind of an idiot, thinks he can thinks he can evade the entire city on his own because Callis does blow this guy off once, and then uh, they get reconnected when Callis tries to connect up with his, his uh, long estranged uncle um, and ends up in a full-on ambush by yet more cultists. Uh, so he, he's putting together, uh, Toll is putting together, might be a bigger conspiracy. And that's that's kind of where Act 1 wraps up. Um, yeah. we, we've hit some of the big talking points. I just wanted to, uh, there were a couple things. We had some clues about technology level, which at first when I was reading, I was like, oh, man, yeah, we're finding out what tech level. But really, to no surprise whatsoever, the tech level lands at where the Empire was previously, right? Because that's what the models have. Um, there is a, oh, so yeah, as far as some of the, no, yeah, so there's yeah, some black powder things. and, you know. Yep, some black powder. There's some interesting, like they call them alley um, guns. Um, alley pieces, yeah, of, like the little crossbow yeah, bolt things. Yeah. Um, there is some other, I, maybe you weren't going here, some technology with the oculums. Sure. So part of, part of Excelsior, Excelsius is that there's these oculums, um, these spheres of, you know, um, circles that, that um, how would you say, orbit and, and twist, kind of like the, um, hurricaneum or the the nubulus oculum, um, so these things are embedded in the in the city around places, and they harness electricity or some sort of power, yeah. and they they power other things in the city. So there seems to be some sort of power source that like the lights, uh, you know, there's not like street lamps, but like some of the doors have lights, you know, hanging on them and that sort of thing. So I don't. So there's some interesting technology there that's very Age of Sigmar. Um, and then, yeah, there's a few like um, the – I like how they describe the the cog weaponry um, that's, that has much more precision to it and is very well done and never, you know, never misfires and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it's – the mechanics are so tight that they can fire even when uh, it's raining, you know, some stuff like that that's kind of cool. Sure. Um, yeah, so we, we get the sense of that. Um, there's some talk about these free people regiments. This is the first time we're really seeing, you know, what, what, uh, a lot of the units that you would have seen in, um, that compilation of, uh, of order. Um, so, and they give some names to them. There's the, the cold guard, the bronze claws and the storm blessed are two regiments that have marched out alongside the storm cast. Uh, and they'll just give some passing comments, but if you're someone who you know has been wanting to put together a free people's army that fits in with the background as it exists, and obviously we've talked about there's all kinds of places where you can carve out your own corner, but here's here you're finally getting some of those little hooks to to try to create your own. And there's some people who have done some really cool things out there already, um, even even prior to this book coming out. But it, it, I'd be interested to see if this uh, helps spark some ideas for what one of those armies would look like. Um. Glimmerlings as currency. So the uh, I wanted to circle back around. We I talked about it briefly. The very money of this place is uh, infused with the ability to to see the future to some level. And you know, there's some cool passing comments about it. But I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing to think about. Like it was a very fantasy sort of thing. And then all the all the knock on effects of that. So there's there's guys who are addicted to it, or you know, uh, they they burn up their handful of glimmerings because they're so addicted to it instead of actually saving it up for something more useful or something like that. I, I thought that was uh, a neat rabbit hole that you could have gone down more obviously there wasn't time in a in a book like this but 
Yeah, it has kind of that. Um, it's not just like the wealth, but it's also a drug, right? It's it's got a lot of um, hangups to it. It's got a lot of, and in this tale of corruption, um, it's a it's a very very enticing and, and a really cool element for for this location. Yeah. Sure. And it kind of just points out how maybe it's an indication of how corruptible the town was in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that's a Folks good Folks are kind of predispositioned to it in some way. Right, right. Um, and then, who would uh, corrupt them? Like, I, I mean, who would, who would bother to do that? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, so there's the, the other interesting thing now that uh, Stormcast are no longer a new thing, right? We figured out they've been around for a couple generations. Uh, what what is the relationship with normal people? And uh, at the beginning is when they're doing some of the little barracks back and forth. There's a there's some cool conversation where one guy's like, "Oh, I you know I heard they don't eat at all. Like, are you crazy? I my brother is down near the docks, and he says a, a wagon of salted meat goes up." to their holds you know every other day and i saw that they uh, go up on the hills at night and eat lightning and thunder and stuff you know so there's all yeah. it's all rumors and it's, it's a cool way of showing that they're they're very much separate like it's not a it's not a well, friendly I think that's it's one of the things that starts making the witch hunter an important um figure and even like callus um is that you know after a while the storm cast and the you know these epic characters you you get that over and over and over it kind of loses some of its shine mm-hmm. um and then once you put one of these weaker kind of figures humans or you know battle line things <laughs> into the mix it really juxtapositions how amazing they are and being able to see that through their lens kind of fresh is was really good to you know after yeah, after being stormcast, after stormcast kind of releases and stories, it was fun to come back here and say, "Oh, wow, they're looking at them. What? How do how do these humans see them?" And that uh, I think plays a really interesting role in the in the storyline. Mm-hmm. I really really liked um, how like the, all the speculation about what the stormcast are kind of mirrored some of the players' uh, discussions when AOS first came out, and they're like, "Man, what's under that armor? Like, is it is oh, it yeah. empty? Is it yeah. of ghosts? Like, yeah. what what is it?" Um, so it. I, I laughed at the notion of the the in fiction regular folks having the same conversations. Sure, yeah, nice. Uh, and I think the only last thing I wanted to bring up about this is it, it there was and the, this has always been a, a cool thing about Warhammer and then Age of Sigmar in particular is they'd have the passing reference to there was like silent uh, Skillion, silent shell ships. No, so these other oh, yeah, yeah. other races that can you, uh, can you do me a favor and say that um, three times fast real quick. Uh, no, absolutely not. I, I did it, barely did it three times slowly, and I did it differently all three times. So we're going we're gonna to call it. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, clip it and speed it up in uh, in post. Does that work for Please you? Please do. All right. Um, yeah, so it, it just all, always have those hooks for, you know, oh, by the way, like here's a story, but there's all this cool yep. stuff that, that you're not seeing. So whatever your imagination is thinking of, it, it's probably out there. So that's kind of yep. a cool thing. So act two, uh, act one. Just real quick question. Yeah. I should have wrote it down. Um, but just, do we know what the order of Azir is? Like, is it explained anywhere? Not fully. Uh, we they talk. I think a little bit more comes up about it in this next act, but not a ton. Like, clearly, it carries a lot of authority. Um, um out with the um, Stormcast going from the 
uh, out to the auric, you know, kind of prophecy. Mm. They, you know, they did talk about some more devoted um, units, so some flagellants, some other priests, warriors, etc. So I'm, I'm assuming it's that kind of devoted. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think the celestial uh, college is in that. Um, so I do think it's primarily kind of that Inquisition type of thing, um, and and uh, you know that I'm, I know we've had a few stories where the Stormcast have met humans and they're like, oh, are they tainted? Right? Are they? Do they still have that? And so I think this is, yeah, I think it's definitely the kind of Spanish Inquisition, where the heretics, where the you know it says that in, in one of the, I think in the battle tome, the the disciples of Zinch, it talks a little bit about you know these these heretics and trying to to suss them out mm-hmm. uh, etc so so you got a little cool. cat and mouse thing going on uh there are cities and and people to be corrupted um all right well so act one was us getting introduced to the main character and him getting in uh callus uh, getting in trouble and getting connected up with uh with uh toll hanover toll uh, act two is them figuring out a plan with what to do so they Hanover Toll takes Callus to High Arbiter Ortum Vermeer. Again, many names described for this guy, so you know he's going to be important. Uh, and also, his name looks and sounds like Vermin. So, uh, I mean, oh, danger! Um, and this is one thing. There's a number of guys here that they describe that are like, you know, big a big deal and they're not very physically imposing. Uh, he's done that in a couple ways that some another character will pop up later. And I, I kind of appreciate that. Like not every guy was like, and he was the biggest that, you know, he was stood a full head taller than the last biggest guy you ever saw. I appreciated not always trying to physically trump each next new guy. Yeah. But, yeah. um, they figure out through questioning toll figures out that in the prophecy, Callus saw the old guy that was destroying the city's archmage Crin, who's one of the lead prophesiers, uh, one of the, um, members of the collegiate up, up top. Um, so they, all right, you know, we got no choice. We got to go to the high arbiter, tell him what's up, what our suspicions and specifically, are. Specifically, uh, um, a mage of, of Shimon. Yep. Of metal. Yeah. Um, and we know that Zinch has had a, a real strong presence in the realm of metal. I don't know if that extends and the to those. Pieces are who, connecting. Yeah, pieces within pieces. Uh, I mean, if we're figuring it out, <laughs> this could be that that hard of a plan, um, right? Right. right? Yeah. Well, and I'll be actually, twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they they come up and they're they're laying their cards out for this guy, and uh, he and and Hannah Rattle have been friends for a long time. They're kind of setting that up, and they have this real kind of easy rapport. And uh, Hannah was like, "All right, well, if if uh, Crin is in on this, then I need to I need to pull in all the resources I have available, which are not necessarily a lot because people have gone off to war at this point." And he goes away, and he comes back, and the first person to figure out something's up is Kazrug. He's like, uh, "I hear a lot of boots in the hall. Something, you know, we got problems." And uh, it turns out that uh, Vermeer himself is part of this conspiracy. Um, and the ensuing conflict, Kazrug is slain by sorcery, has his uh, touching moment at the end where he, he hands something off the toll to make sure it gets to Kazrug's son. Um, it doesn't get much into more into that, but it does, you know, I guess humanize is not the word for a, a dead Duarden, but uh, to, you know, make him a more complete character. And then uh, here's one thing I didn't totally understand. Kallus and uh, Tull are thrown in prison rather than just straight up killed. Did you... 
I guess maybe he was hoping to turn to a corrupt so, toll as well, but I was like, man. Well, first question yeah. I have is, would it, it have been more in fa- impactful uh, if there had been, if um, the Dwarden had actually been a Griffhound? I mean, <laughs> if it, I think it'd been a cool character swap, you know, have a Griffhound helping out. And the Griffhound I mean, was killed? No, that he oh. was the, like the sidekick, like mm, the, the one see. who endeared us to to Toll. So there's just one had, question I'll throw out there. Would have it had all the same lines, or would he have I smelled mean, as bad? Sure, these are maybe could have yeah. been pretty mangy. <laughs> um, so, but to the question of uh, imprisonment, I think he said something to the effect of they want to find out if they've told anybody else or, yeah, or what okay. else do they sure know. Enough. Fair enough. Now, yeah, I mean, so it's it's uh, yeah, I mean. You can call it into question. I mean, bad yeah. guys aren't the smartest. We know this. Well, I think you probably went to supervillain school, and they teach you not to kill the main. Yeah, yeah. Is. You're gonna ruin the plot line if you do. Uh, so what? What he does? Uh, he does say triple the guard because if you underestimate this dude, you're gonna totally pay for it. Which, uh, of course, is exactly what happens. Uh, and Tall is a magic item hidden on him where he's able to contact Captain Zenthi, who is an elf corsair. And uh, like not an elf corsair, like the elf yeah, yeah, corsair. like the baddest of the bad, apparently, and calls in a rescue mission, and they come in, and they're doing the typical elf stuff, like they're crazy elite and super fast, and oh, by the way, these these guards that they're killing, they're really powerful too, but guess what, they're dying, you know. So uh, a lot of well, it's definitely definitely the the fight scenes here show the that litheness, so the the elves. Um, are taller, right? Yeah. And physically, they're taller. They're more slender, um, but they're much that same kind of what you'd expect. Then is that litheness, that that uh, agility and, and dexterity, etc. And and just kind of they both, which is interesting here, is both the oh, what did they uh, they described the battle kind of like uh, orcas, orca whales mm. disrupting the lines. So mm-hmm. kind of the way they worked into there to kind of disrupt the, any formation that the, these knights could put together. Sure. And then also uh, whirling dervishes um, as a, as a you know, just kind of dancing around with their swords and stuff. Uh, whirling dervishes aren't, aren't warriors necessarily, but uh, right. um, just that kind of look, look and feel of like, um, you know, a sword master just spinning around and you can hardly tell where they're going to be. And so just some really cool like uh, – ocean you know kind of ocean and, and nautical kind of themes and you know just the kind of how they're able to kind of work a little bit faster than everybody else right well and they're doing the elf stuff they're you know back flipping and running up walls and running actually at one point uh Zenthi runs along a guy's halberd in order to get behind him so uh, yeah. as a lifelong detester of elves i it, you you actually you bring up a good point with the like the um relating him to a school or cause that actually was kind of cool. Some, some of the other stuff I'm, I'm a little bit like been, <laughs> been there, read that as far as elves being, you know, the ultimate badasses, but yep. they, yep. they do successfully bust, uh, bust our heroes out of jail. And then, uh, they're, she's like, all right, I'm out. You know, I, I got nothing. And, uh, uh, toll is like, no, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta stick with us. We're going to need your help. And then she's saying, you know what? There's no reason for me. Why am I going to risk myself? And, uh, he says, "Look, if you think if if you think you're not going to get affected by this, you're crazy. Sigmar will burn the coast of tusks to cinders before he allows the touch of the dark gods to prosper." He's like, you know, whether it's by the chaos side or the the uh, Sigmar side, this this city's going to get crushed um, if you're 
if you don't make sure we shut this down now. So, yep. Uh, and speaking of ruthlessness, their next stop now that uh, they have been betrayed here, the the only other resource they have in town is to go to the what uh, few stormcast still remain. They go to this guy known as the White Reaper. Um, He's and, mentioned a couple of times, and there's some you know, like obvious. Um, Oh, how would you put it? Uh, Outright fears. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, fear. Yeah. Like they, uh, there's one older fella from the, uh, from Callus' squad early on who's like, you, you guys don't know. You didn't live through the purges like I did. Uh, so there's some kind of reference to these, the Knights Excelsior having done some pretty brutal, ruthless stuff as far as, uh, you know, purging the population of uh, either corruption or perceived corruption. And apparently this White Reaper here. Who, uh, as we are introduced to him, I actually at first thought this guy was a uh, Lord Castellant uh, because he was holding a lantern up on. There's a couple times in um, uh, in some previous ones where where a uh, Lord Castellant would hook his halberd onto or hook his lantern onto his halberd and raise it up, and so that's what I thought was going on at first. But then I realized this is probably the first time uh, that we've seen a Lord Veritant in uh, on on paper. So yeah, in a really cool model, and really yeah. like this character. Yeah, so he, uh, as as they go to plead for help, he turns and looks at Callus, and, and Callus is hit by this lantern, and uh, he he drops to his knees. Not, and like, not literally. No, no, no. Uh, He's the, hit by the light from the lantern. Yes, uh, and it it makes him want to confess to like every sin he's ever he's ever committed, and he you know it really it kind of gives you the here's what it feels like to to be exposed to this, and he's. Uh, it really just kind of breaks him down completely. And Callus, we've seen uh, a number of times, is is pretty flippant, even in the face of uh, pretty rough odds. Like again, again, he, he mouths off to people that he probably shouldn't be mouthing off to. Uh, his his mouth is moving a little faster than his brain. Um, and uh, the White Reaper walks away without promising anything, uh, and so they're not clear if they have any help coming from uh, from the Stormcast. So. Cast. This is something I don't I don't get right. Like yeah, we're talking about how this this group of stormcast or you know we're purging the city of all sorts of perceived corruption or actual corruption. Like th- this this whole scenario is like this guy's bread and butter. Like this is his job. Um, a, I'm surprised it took him so long to find out. Like he had to rely on some other people to get there for him. And B, it took him so long to do anything about it. Um, when we talk, sort of alluding to the conversation we had before about like what purpose or what hunter serves, it's this guy's purpose. Yeah, if this isn't his job. What is it? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm my best guess if I'm gonna uh, devil's advocate the other side is that you know these you know who knows how many times this guy's been reforged. We know that the Stormcast are not very human in their aspect, although we've seen a few along the way who are better able to relate to. Uh, the the normal humans out there you know maybe you know maybe he he's thinking that he's said what he needs to say and maybe they've got to recall some or, or get some from get some more storm cash from his ear but yeah it it was not clear to me like why wouldn't you be like yeah good call we should probably shut this uh whole conspiracy thing down it sounds like a good good thing to do so I wanted to see him suit up right then and there yeah. and, and take on Zinch head on. Sally forth. Um, well, since they didn't do that, then our, our heroes, Callus and, and Toll, have to go looking elsewhere. So they go, uh, 
they kind of have Callus rack his brain, think about your vision. And he says, well, the one regiment I did see still fighting, uh, were the, uh, iron bulls of Tarsus and Eric Tarsus, you know where that's from, right? Where have you heard that yeah. name before? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the audio dramas, uh, <laughs> going towards Nagash. Yeah. So I, I like that, uh, you kind of toss off and actually who knows, is Tarsus still in Nagash's clutches? Uh, as as we know. Best we know. Yeah. Bummer. Uh, I wonder but, if that new Warhammer World uh, book tells us anything. Oh yeah, if only. I gotta look at Mengel's review. Oh sure. I'm not gonna get that book because it's all the way over at Warhammer World. So far, uh, but I thought I mean, unless a... we, unless we found someone to I don't know maybe maybe <laughs> ship across the pond. I, I tell you what, yeah, someone someone could do that, or someone could just record themselves reading it. We'd have our own little audio book. Um, uh, but only if they do voices. Yeah, yeah. I heard uh, I heard Tomlin do that uh, one little uh, drama for his uh, his background for his uh, ghoul um, flesh eater courts. That was pretty solid. So uh, maybe I'll put him put him up to it. So uh, if you ask nicely, yeah, that's the only way I ask. The uh, <laughs> well, so I thought this was a cool like throwaway thing. Like if you had not read any of those Iron Bulls of Tarsus, doesn't mean anything to you. But if you have, it's just ah oh, cool. Like these regiments are inspired by the heroes of the Stormcast, and it makes sense. You think these guys is I think at one point, Callus uh, in his mind is is thinking of uh, the Lord Baron Sentanus as he refers to him as a war god. So you know, for all intents and purposes, these. Uh, Stormcaster perceived as as war gods as gods to uh, to the normal human, so it makes sense that you'd name an entire regiment after one guy, uh, one one Stormcast. But yeah. um, so this uh, this act uh, wraps up with the the other regiment uh, that is in town. The Firewolves are are getting uh, surrounded and wiped out by the uh, traitorous Cold Guard and uh, the Oculum that uh, is floating up above crackles it's been crackling you know surging in power back and forth and all of a sudden there's a there's this huge rift opens up as it activates and a crystalline tower begins to emerge and in a, a super sort of uh cthulhu-ish uh theme you can you can kind of see hidden like this is the tip of the iceberg a much greater fortress is is shadowy and somehow trying to push its way through oh my god yeah um so this is where Act Two leaves us, and I think we've hit most of the things. You guys has any pieces from uh, Act Two that you want to hit up on this? Or we push straight on to Act Three here. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, what was I going to say? I mean, yeah, you just get you get another kind of these interactions with the different officials. You get, you know, like being able to to see what the upper class lives like. Uh, was really interesting that, that it's similar to what you'd expect where there there's a little bit more opulence and you know wastefulness and that sort of stuff I'd be interested to see what like Sigmar thinks about that you know like um, you know just that that people are going about their ways and in, in living in like kind of again some of that um, uh, too removed from the realities of what's going on in the realms kind of stuff um, and then also, yeah, just a lot of really cool interactions between different people in different positions. So like the witch hunter toll and the, um, Vermineer, like while the, their different roles, you know, there's, you know, um, you know, what, 
what parts do they play, et cetera. And so the, you know, the, the night variant is another one of those where it's just these, uh, but then also the Corsair, um, captain, like just a lot of different puzzles that fit in place, which is, you know, a very, yeah, I mean, it's not like the Stormcast again, where their orders come from Sigmar directly and they go and do this thing and they have to do this thing and there, there's no questioning it. These are a bunch of individual, you know, players, um, making their own decisions on how they're going to, you know, relate and, re- you know, kind of work together. And just that, um, again, more seeing why Zinch would love this kind of space to play in. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, actually you make a, you make a good point here. Like this is, this is, uh, a good, you know, so early on we got the real very ground level. Here's, here's what life is like, uh, in the, the new cities in the age of Sigmar. And here you've got more of the, this gives you some more clues onto how the higher levels interact and how some of the, I don't know, not administrative structure, but some of the yep. um, agencies that are needed to uh, run this are, are put together. So, yep. um, You start, go ahead. Well, I was going to shift gears, so keep going with the thought. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, in true good, you know, in good fashion, we started at the lowest fantasy, right? The low end, the, the, the gutters. And then we, the characters take us higher up through the the city itself, and then to kind of the more um, uh, awesome side of things. I've got one question. Um, I haven't read all of fiction, but I read some of it. I thought we didn't know where the elves were. Like I thought, I thought they were like missing and gone. Where where, where do these these corsairs come from? So there's been there's definitely been reference that that elves. Uh, exist and are hanging around in some of the cities of Azir. So this is my presumption is that they've, these are, these are, uh, immigrants from Azir. Uh, as far as I think it's similar to like the, the follower, the dwarven followers of Grungi, uh, from the realms have disappeared without a trace or not without a trace. Like their cities are all over the place. I think the elves that were left behind in the mortal realms, those are the ones that we, we haven't found. There's, uh, unknown where they are i think yeah does that uh do it for you yeah as you can tell i'm, I'm very much interested in in sort of expanding the uh the, the types of armies and, and and races that we we interact with right i'd love to know those those elves stories how did they get to be here right my i mean well, again that's a story for a later later date yeah um i think your i think your best source of information there is the uh the order compilation, uh, forces of order, that uh, has just some real small blurbs about their uh, about the existing elves, and it give you mostly it's saying they exist in Azir, and here's the things they've been doing in Azir, and there's not much information there. So that's my presumption. Sure. Um, but that puts us on to Act Three, and Act Three uh, is basically all out war. So fleets of Gyrocopters are zooming overhead to try and uh, intercept some of these swarms of flying demons that are coming down on discs and uh, chariots and all this. And uh, there's now cultists are are making their presence known, and uh, Zangor are showing up. And uh, I don't know about for you guys, I I, I didn't uh, I like this act just fine. It was maybe the least interesting for me because uh, to some degree. 
I have maybe read this before. Um, and, and I know I've heard other podcasts saying like, this is the reason you're going to like it is it's going to feel familiar to you. It'll feel a little bit more like some of the, you know, uh, old world fiction that you read or end times fiction. But for me, I'm like, well, that's, that's stuff I know, you know, um, yeah. stuff I've read before. Um, like as soon as a steam tank showed up, I was like, cool, a steam tank that's going to blow up later. And it's going to kill a bunch of people when it blows up in a valiant, like last stand sort of thing. And, uh, that is exactly what happened. So, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess I've got my own pocket full of glimmerlings here. Give me some insight yeah. into the future. Um, nice. but they do, they, you know, they, everyone gets a little screen time. Yeah, some of the new models get some, you know, there's sky fires that are, uh, sniping officers and crews and, uh, iron weld arsenal cannons are firing, doing all kinds of cool things. It's, it's a, it's a big battle. We, we've seen some of this before. Uh, Ogroy Thaumaturge shows up and for reasons I'm not entirely clear on decides he's just going to chase, uh, Callus around. So Callus always, Oh, he's, he's the main character. Oh yeah. All right. There you go. Well, I guess, you know, I mean, maybe he, he sees the, sees the pieces of the future enough to know that this guy has something to do. I don't know, but sure. yes. Yeah. So he gets to get chased around. He's the one guy on the battlefield who, uh, somehow unfortunately gains the attention of Ogre Thaumaturge. Uh, but he is saved at the last minute by the, uh, timely slash untimely slash why did it take you so long arrival of the Stormcast, uh, who arrive and begin to turn the tide. And, uh, once, <clears throat> once the battle is, uh, now back again, swinging back and forth in the, uh, balance, Lord Veritant, Santanus, says, you know, you, Callus, you had these prophecies of Kryn, or, you know, these, these dreams of Kryn, you know, lead me to them. And so they go, they go up, up to the oculum. Uh, and then there is what I described as a, as a boss fight where, uh, Kryn is up there and we got, uh, we got him creating these cool bronze golems, um, these big metal golems with, I don't know, sword arms or something. And they're swinging around and fighting. There's just a handful of storm cast and, little chaos there and uh meanwhile way down below Vermeer is uh squaring off against toll so you have both these kind of big finale combats going along and they end up getting joined together because um Callus uh Callus managed to trick one of these golems into tumbling off and uh he lands just breaking up the fight between Vermeer and uh, toll uh, which gives Toll a chance to chop off Vermeer's hand and Vermeer a chance to escape through a portal to be a villain for a later date. Um, he's like, I'm your father. And he's like, no. <laughs> right. uh, and Kryn is killed uh, by uh, Lord Veritant Santanus after Callus distracts him, you know, right in his moment of triumph. He fires, Callus fires a shot into Kryn, which doesn't do anything other than annoy him, distract him, break his spell long enough for Sentanus to uh say burn and burn him down with his uh with his special glow. No, I mean you gotta admit, coolest probably one of the coolest parts of the book, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, and you know that Sentanus has wicked guitar music playing in the background. I was waiting for that, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> All right. yeah. So it had to have been the coolest with the soundtrack even. <laughs> uh I can acknowledge it. Yeah, and thank you. Ah, see two against one now, you're in trouble, Eric. Um, guys, guys, you both acknowledged it. And then the groans are the same as laughter. It's okay. <laughs> they, they, they both feel you. <laughs> uh, Puns for the pun god. Yeah. So this uh, this elimination of um, of Kryn killing him, it, this portal collapses and shears off 
the uh, portion of the crystal tower and so this and the oculum comes tumbling out and smushes a whole bunch of demons and and uh zangor and cultists and then this crystal this uh portion of the crystal tower comes just gouges a, a chunk out of the uh out of the spear of malice as it comes down and then smashes in the noble quarter and the veins so you're you're hitting the the rich and the the poor alike it does make special mention to say that it utterly obliterates the uh palace of the high arbiter so vermeer <laughs> even if he makes it back here he doesn't have a crib to stay at anymore uh and it has one of these you know not a pyrrhic victory but a, a pretty costly one it says thousands die in the veins as as uh as this chunks of this crystal uh, come to earth but thousands more would have died if chaos were to have gained uh, gained their what they're hoping for here and it talks a little bit about the aftermath the traders uh, many are killed but some are able to withdraw you know say whoops you know i'm i'm uh, gonna take my mask back off and resume my old identity and so you know that uh, even what remains of Excelsis, uh, the yeah. Order of Azir is going to have their work cut out for them trying to figure out what's going on here. And you don't and, know what what think, else is going uh, Well, sorry, I was going to just say is I think that this means that Warhammer TV is going to have a new soap opera. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excelsius. Callus uh, is uh, offered a commission with, uh, they say, well, you know, you're the uh, uh, bulls of... Uh, Iron Bulls of Tarsus say, you know, hey, uh, you did great. You know, why don't you why don't you be a lieutenant with us? And he says, that's cool. And that lasts for, I don't know, a little bit of time passes, but maybe a month. And then Toll shows up and says, actually, uh, you remember my, my old buddy, the my old traveling companion got uh, killed by sorcery? Like, doesn't sound, sound like a great job for you. And uh, so he ends up uh, joining on with uh, the perks. Tom. Yeah, exactly. Really, really sells it. No, yeah, he's, he he lists all the things that are are terrible about the job. Um but uh you know, it says hey, nothing else is basically nothing else is going to um you're not going to feel fulfilled doing anything else at this point. So, even though there are no perks and lots of uh drawbacks, you should do this. And so, he does. Sounds like sounds like my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's your job here. Um, so, Aaron, how did you feel then, uh, Aaron? Just kind of looking back at at the at Tall as the witch hunter, and how he, you know, how does he fit in the mortal realms now? Sure. So, I mean, from a personality perspective, I feel like he's the he's the the staple witch hunter for sure. And I, I mentioned before, but if if we are going to be dealing in much more, not even necessarily urban, but just settled lands. Um, the, the witch hunters have a place. I think up until this point, um, we've been dealing with sort of bigger battles, bigger, you know, larger scale stuff. But uh, a lot of the a lot of the war is going to be won on the smaller s- scale, and that's where the the witch hunters are probably going to probably going to shine. Um, yeah. Especially when, especially for, I mean, for Zine specifically, like this is this is where he's going to start showing up. Yeah, I think um, you know the witch hunter plays kind of the role of. Um, so like a cross between, you know, 007, right, with the gadgets and in, intrigue, arcane, you know, interesting arcanum that they have access to and know how to use and, and weird like um, like uh, artifacts that they know how to employ, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, the, the Da Vinci Code kind of <laughs> right. feel of like where they, 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 they kind of are able to see the big picture and how things interlock and your little Sherlock Holmes in there. Um, there's a lot of TV shows and movies today where they kind of try and put a spin on 
you know, the the monsters and, and vampires and that sort of stuff. And there's always that character who's like, um, you know, hey, I've never known this other world exists. And they unlock it for them, you know, whether that be from, you know, Twilight to, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of Van, you know, um, Van Helsing or whatever, right? That kind of, that it still feels like there's a role for humans to play on that kind of, you know, solo, you know, um, man of intrigue, you know, uh, spy kind of level, which is kind of interesting. Well, and we've already proven that maybe some of this stuff is below the Stormcast gaze, like who traditionally have been who we thought of as like the heroes of the setting. Um, maybe they just can't move as quickly as uh, sort of the lesser beings can. Mm. Yeah. Well, and then also it's the difference between, right, a, uh, a hammer and a scalpel. Right. Uh, you know, the Stormcast, you know, what they alluded to is that they dealt with it to some extent previously, and it was with a hammer, you know, um, to smite out, you know, a lot of, of that corruption. And now um, it's, you know, humanity's growing. We can't, you can't just smash, you know, a city every time you think that there might be, a, you know, a seed of corruption in there. So how do you get at that? And the witch hunter is, you know, that human element that's going to go in and, and find it and, and extract it sure a hammer works for corn or nurgle but maybe not so much with uh, zinch yeah so, so any i feel better about it <laughs> good and <laughs> I, I actually was thinking like if you were ever to you know role play in age of sigmar like a good starting point would be uh being part of a, a team you know attached to uh attached to a witch hunter or a member of the order is you like that like that has that uh, thing where individuals could be having having an impact you know like we're a, we're a small team of characters i don't know that that felt like a good hook for something along those lines yeah i definitely think the witch hunter is is much more of a character that you want to play in in a narrative um or in a like a, a rpg or a small like a war band like i think he fits in that whereas you know the Stormcast. Kind of like what I was thinking of, of Necromunda uh, was a game of skirmish and stuff, but you rarely saw the, the Space Marine because the Space Marine are these, you know, other like bigger than life kind of things. They're not the nitty gritty. They're not the intrigue. They're not the whatever. Um, so you see that they're rare. And so I feel like this kind of has that same feel. Like if we were to, you know, the Hinterlands um, game and whatnot. And so I feel like the... The witch hunter has much more of a role in these like small skirmish battles, these small little wars that you fight, as opposed to you know a warband of of stormcast, which are you're primarily going to stick in in large numbers and and come with like full force at something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely think they have a different character to them that fits in the fits in the in the story. Sure. All right. Well, uh, that is City of Secrets. Anybody got any last thoughts on that? No, I think that, I think that covers it. Okay. Uh, it has some tie-in because here here we're seeing uh, the first steps into the Age of Sigmar after the Realmgate Wars and the other place that we first get some clues about that are the uh, is Battle Tome Disciples of Zinch. And, of course, there's you know the parallels with all the, the Zinch forces in here. So uh, we're just going to hit some of the high points, uh, especially from a narrative perspective about the uh, Battle Tome. Um, so one of the cool things that the battle tome sets up for us um, in Age of Sigmar is like, who is Zinch? 
Um, we've had some, you know, we've had a lot of of conversation about corn. Uh, we've had a lot of conversation about Nurgle and like their actual feelings about the realm and who they are. And um, this is our first for Age of Sigmar to get a really good feeling of Zinch. And it talks a lot about how, you know, he's got many different names. Um, it describes um, him, the the being of Zinch, as this kind of gigantic horror, um, you know, kind of like the small, you know, horrors, the pink horrors, the blue horrors or whatever. But he's kind of this gigantic version and its skin crawls with changing faces and they it, they leer and they mock. And when, when the Zinch says something, these other mouths kind of either repeat or counter it or try and like undermine like his own self. And mm-hmm. there's just some really interesting dynamics here in that that um, that are really cool about Zinch himself that kind of epitomize what he's all about. Uh, which is super interesting. I've not seen that. I've not seen that characterized in in past stuff. Sure. And uh, taking it very literally, when you're talking about seeing things, they have uh, a big picture of Zinch, uh, a couple of them. And this may be the first time. Like I've been trying to think. Maybe you'd have to go all the way back to like the slaves slaves of darkness books, like in the very, very early editions of Warhammer before they, when they might have tried to draw a picture of him, but it is, it is crazy. Like, uh, looks mind-bendingly insane, which is, I guess, what he's supposed to look like, you know, flames and lightning and amorphous shapes and mouths and eyes and all kinds of weird places. So I got a kick out of that. Yeah. Yep. So I think, um, and some of the other interesting things that they talk about in the book is, where Zinch's realm is uh, in in the realm of chaos mm-hmm. and where he sits. In. And so uh, they describe him as sitting at the center of the crystal labyrinth, kind of like a spider on a web, um, waiting for kind of the, you know, different uh, conspiracies and uh, plots that he has set out into the world uh, to kind of spring, right, and, and go and, and pay attention there. So there's some really cool... Um, talk about and how like in in the crystal labyrinth like that's the job of the 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 horrors is just to run around and create new corridors like they're just running around and it's constantly changing and and you know almost i guess almost like skaven you know burrowing but these things are the new magic corridors and mazes and all that kind of stuff um it talks about nine fractal fortresses um and this ever-changing hierarchy and so the way kind of back to like how Zinch's body is created by these mouths that counteract or contradict and, you know, maybe act counter to his, you know, himself. Um, there are these nine fortresses. They're led by nine demons and their throngs, you know, their, um, uh, uh, I don't know what you should call them, groups. And uh, that the way he enacts his will is he'll tell those, you know, he'll, call this you know head demon of one of the nine factual fortresses and say hey this is what i want to have happen and then it's a game of telephone from there because the not only will the that demon speak it some other way but they'll, they'll enact it in their own personal way uh, that that fits them whether it be guile or um, through illusion or through whatever and he doesn't know how that's going to play out uh, and and doesn't like is thrilled with the idea that it's going to go out in some weird way that he didn't predict. So he's not a micromanager. 
which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of touch on something a little bit, even going back to like who Zinch is and, and what he's all about, in that like given his his uh, realm of responsibilities, it's it's almost a little unknowable as to like exactly the extent of what Zinch is and what you know his parameters are. However, the best way to sort of discern that is to maybe look at like his followers and what they're all about. I think it's like a I don't know it's like a a Jesus thing to think that you know you will know me by my followers, but in this particular situation, like you're going to know his 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 reach by the different um, convocations of, of groups that follow him. You sort of touched on like how they have different uh, responsibilities or interests. Um, like Zinch is all about mutation or d- illusion or sorcery. Lies. Or, yeah, yeah. Or I can just keep going because there are nine of them. Um, <laughs> burning and and uh, manipulation or you know so on and so forth but like that's where you get a sense of what what zinch is all about when you sort of look at what his followers are doing mm-hmm. yeah so yeah the, so they there's these nine fortresses and they they change who's in control of them uh so he his whereas he talks a little bit about where um uh, Z, uh, Korn has a very militant structure and hierarchy. You know, this person's in charge of these group, and there's somebody who's in charge of those, and etc. And um, uh, Nurgle has a very cyclical um, kind of organizational chart, I guess. Uh, and and Zinch very much wants it to be always in flux, in fluid, and to where like and he does this interesting thing too, where he's got these pyramids. In, in his realm where he hangs the banners of the nine, um, you know, favored uh, uh, convocations kind of thing, too. So there's a lot of fanfare and, like, pouring on of, of favor and that sort of stuff. And, and you think of it just kind of, like, complimenting and dripping with and oozing with, like, manipulation, right, and all right. that kind of stuff. Um, Aaron, do you want to name off what the, the nine convocations are? Because they're, like you said... You ready for them? Because here they come. Uh, yeah. We're looking at the transcendental change, which, as you might expect, is all about the the mutation aspect of Zinch and how he keeps things in flux, changes things. You can see sort of in their fo- in, in his followers how they're they're granted mutations. What is it? The, the cursling has a dude growing out of his shoulder. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, you, you've got the host duplicitous. Is that I think duplicitous. Yeah, Duplicitous. Oh my gosh! Edit that one out. Um, <laughs> but they're all about deceit nope. and illusion. You mean, you mean deceit and illusion? Yeah, deceit. Oh my gosh! I'm not gonna leave that one down. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, as, as you'd expect, he's he's got plots, and, and a lot of those plots are relying on on you know lies and and, and such. Where do you see some of that um, in that? Like when when he tricks Sigmar, when he throws uh, uh, Galmaraz, right? That's kind of a, a deceit. Yep. Like that's yeah, how he tricks him to get rid of it. Or yep. he or he. Um, tricks Scarbrand into attacking Corn. Like, these are examples yeah. of how, how yeah, he's yeah. utilizing his, his deceit and illusion. Yeah. Um, the, the Grand Cabal, all about intrigue and espionage. Um, I mean, that that's par for the course. I'm trying to think of examples there. Um, what, what, when, is he, when is he doing espionage and, and intrigue? I mean, I think with the story that we're just talking about, where you've got kind of the whole court and, and where that royal guard has been handpicked you know, to be, you know, not just the best soldiers, but the ones that are, you know, into the, the chaos gods, etc. Sure, that's a good example. Um, we've got the host Arcan- Arcanum, Arcanum? Damn, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> um, potato, potato. Arcanum, sure. Arcanum. Perfect. So, I mean, he, he's, he's the, the chaos god of magic, so the pure, pure sorcery. Um, you, you see that in all, all his, his demons and his followers are, all have a, a magic bent for, for sure. Um, 
the seekers of the infinite wisdom. Um, so no secret can be hidden from them. Uh, I wonder, like, finding the location of Galmaraz. I mean, it was a secret that they were aware of. Um, hell, whether or not he had a hand in it, knowing where Slanesh, Slanesh might be mm-hmm. is a secret worth knowing. Yep. Um, so that's definitely in his his ballpark. Um, the eternal conflagration, uh, as you can see with his flamers and the, the burning chariots, um, he's all about... Trogdor. Yeah. Um, all about all about fire. Like so, when it comes to combat, you know, uh, being an an aggressor, that that's his tool, um, his mechanism to sort of wage warfare. Also, internet trolls. Like, yeah. Yep. Nice. That's real important. Um, we got the Legion of Fate, so a series of you know fate weavers and time seers. So you know he's sort of fascinated with the, the flow of time and how how. The, his plots and things uh, play out over time. Um, you get a lot of that from uh, Chiral State Weaver, Weaver probably, um, mm-hmm. seen both in the past and in the future. Um, so that definitely uh, an interest of his. Uh, the Lords of Dominion, manipulation, guile, sort of controlling uh, the, the the movements of, of lesser beings. Again, you sort of see that in City of Secrets. Um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the uh, intrigue and espionage a little bit. Um, and then the unbound flux, anarchy, destroyer of reality. Um, it's 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 wild and crazy when when Zinch throws a party. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, just like this. So I think of uh, that the the first one, the uh, transcendental changes being sort of the the physical mutation, and this is sort of the almost like mental or or even like reality mutation, like complete and utter chaos. Uh, everything splitting apart. So, sure. I was able to pronounce seven out of the nine, so I think that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty yeah. strong. We'll ask the next time you're summoning Lord of Change, see how that works out for you. So, sure. <laughs> Take my tongue. There is a, a short story in this book. Yeah, there's a really cool, really cool blurb here. Where, uh, uh, again, I've, I've said this before. I, I think the callouts have some of the the coolest little bits of, of background, but where they're they're trying to summon a Lord of Change and. Um, he steps forward and kind of looks around and uh the uh the magister who summoned him says you know i you know i I got your nine here they are and he says three times three the offerings be said the demon one of the souls you offered was already mine and so it was not a an actual nine sacrifice so he's like uh i'm here though and i'll help you but i'm gonna make some changes to your plans so i don't know it's a cool little moment and then um, more awesome art here where they've got the, uh, this is the kind of stuff that really makes, you know, because you say like, well, I can get the War Scrolls, you know, for free in the app. Like for me, it's having these little pages that here's some pictures of, you know, the change blade or the pyrophane stave or, you know, the portal glyph, like just some, somebody went real crazy with their art or the, the runes and glyphs and that sort of thing. Like that's where you can really kind of soak yourself in the, uh, the idea of what it means to be a follower of Zinch in uh, in the Age of Sigmar. So that's one of my favorite parts of this book. Very cool. Yeah, the art is gorgeous. The um, the models are are fantastic with the new release. And um, yeah, there's and inside there, yeah, there's the tons of little stories about how Zinch is working inside of these new cosmopolitan you know areas and. And uh, inserting himself um, and his followers, um, so it's pretty crazy. So, do you guys want to jump to 
Well, I guess we're not doing it here. The building of an army that's in further down, right? Yeah, that'd be our campaign phase. Um, so. I got, I got, I got a question. So I, we might have touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, so well, maybe this is more of the overall theme. But just generally, do we, do we think that Zinch is becoming more ascendant? Is that the term? Um, yeah, I think as more as more and more societies get sort of founded, that again, that's that's where he thrives. Like, is is he on his way up? Yeah, I, I think it even says says that like uh, Nurgle suffered a huge defeat in the realm of life, and Corn, um, some of his rage is burned out as far as that goes. And now, you know, this is this is where Zinch is going to thrive with these societies to create intrigue and uh, scheming and all that sort of thing. And so that may even have been that he manipulated events to allow Sigmar to get cities in the mortal realms in order for him to become ascendant amongst his brothers, his brother gods. Um, it, yeah. Some of the background here talks about that. Uh, and as with everything, you know, you don't know what's lies and what's not, but there's, there's a, there's a rough one to think over. Like maybe there's all, all this so far is playing in his ancient hands. So. Yeah. It's, I think that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I think he's, We've seen corn with the killing of everything, but then as there's nothing left to kill, and there's you know you kill Stormcast and there's no blood, there's no skulls, um, you know I think you're losing some power there, and then uh, um, yeah, and Nurgle tried and didn't succeed at taking over the realm of life, and so I think yeah, now it's Zinch is on the way up, and and uh, yeah has a lot of room to to grow. Sure. And it's kind of neat to sort of see the evolution of Zinch even in the past year and a half in in AOS. Uh, like, you know, it's sort of first released and you, you dealt with some of the, the fiction uh, back around the, the Galmaraz times. Um, you're, he was very much like a, a Warriors of Chaos sort of centric army at the time. You saw a lot of Chaos Lords on, on Manticores, Sorcerer Lords, sort of the, the classic stuff that you would see in uh, like... Warhammer Fantasy, but then as time goes on, you start getting a little bit more of the hints of what Zinch is actually going to look like uh, in AOS. Um, just whether or not, and I guess a lot of it's from the, the ever chosen side of things. But you're going to see the Gaunt Summoners, um, the Varengard have a very Zinchian look to them, and you even get you even get Drogar's head. Like that sort of you know hints to like you know Zinch is there, and he and he's 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 got his hands on the wheel a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes on, you get that Silver Tower release, so that's again sort of like oh well okay. Zinch is making his way forward. Um, it's very, you know, secretive and plotting, and you know, very unique to Zinch, very eldritch. Um, and to now, this full release. So now that we've got our cities, it sort of correlates to like he's he's gonna, you know, show his face. Um, it's sort of neat to see how he he sort of transitions with the times. When it was all out warfare, he was he, he could be very out all out warfare type, um, and he he's now coming into his own. He's really on the battlefield that he prefers. Yeah, I think too the we've been we've been taking the like the big brute kind of fight um and stories uh with the stormcast and the the bloodbound and now we have nuance, right? Now we have uh, subtlety and that's pretty refreshing too. Well, and right. a lot of people were complaining that we didn't have that nuance for a while and it's nice to see like whether it was in response to people or not G- GW sort of giving that to the phone giving giving the people what they want. Yeah. Uh, giving a better sense of what what's going on there. Uh, did you guys? There was the uh, 
Chronicles of Deceit, and this is the pseudo timeline that we get. This is always one of my favorite parts. You guys have any pieces in this that you particularly enjoyed? Ooh. I mean, yeah, I gotta pull it up again. Um, but no, no, I, I, I don't know if it was in this part. I just like um, the idea that maybe um, Excelsis isn't isn't the only yes. setting where where uh, um, Zinch is making his power plays, especially. I mean, sort of. It parallels between the city of Hammerhall specifically, mm-hmm. um, whether or not like that's going to be the next uh, source of source of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, where did I, my notes go? So I mean, generally we we've got the notion that th- there's that changeling, the named character, was ousted from the city. Yeah. Um, we know that Stormcast patrols are finding hidden Zang or en- enclaves nearby. Um, we got a Zinch follower. Well, not even trying to pronounce this one. Uh, uh, some sort of source or developing a cabal there and we know outside of the fiction but warhammer quest is going to be visiting there next it seems like a lot of things are the stars are aligning over ha- Hammerhall that uh, zinch seems to have his eye on it yeah uh i enjoyed they make specific mention of uh, corruption at excelsis it says the cults of twisted fate the faded path were uncovered in the city of excelsis leading to bloody battles through its streets seven more cults remain undetected yeah. Uh, so it's not 100% clear to me if that's if that's specifically the events of uh, City of Secrets or if maybe that was the purges that were referred to because if you were you know if you were part of the population maybe you are not made aware that there was actually you know maybe you're not fully aware that there was you know some conspiracy going on and it just seemed like a big you know vicious unnecessary purge to you because you didn't realize how deep that went but uh, well, Kroon was specifically of the Faded Path. So, okay. Like, yeah. At the very least, that one, that one's him. All right. So yeah, that's a that's a good call out. So that that might mean that even with all the events of City of Secrets, that only represents two two ninths of the uh, of the total cults that are in, in operation in Excelsis, which doesn't bode well for that city. Sure. Um, yeah. Um. So Zinch isn't done yet. I think we can right to us. And uh, I know. Eric and I talked about uh, the golden-colored clouds in uh, some of the other realms, Shaman especially. Uh, I think that was kind of at the end of All Gates, one of the one of the blurbs, and we theorized like, oh, maybe it has something to do with like the Duarden, you know, the missing Duarden. Here, it's a strong implication that Zinch has has a role in this because it talks about aerial patrols from the cities of Sigmar were sent to investigate, but none returned. Like, oh, bummer! From these golden, multi-hued clouds, which are seen across the mortal realms, but nowhere more so than the high places of Shimon. So pretty ominous. Yeah. One more place that, uh, the Dwarden <laughs> are not apparently. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So again, that's always a great place for little hooks and, and interesting things. Um, and it gets into talking about some of the, uh, some of the miniatures themselves. I not miniatures, but the, uh, the, uh, different units. units. Yeah. Breaking into them. You guys, uh, have any pieces you particularly enjoyed in there? I got a question. Go. Why are Zangar and Enlightened, where they got the mortal keyword, but the Skyfires and the sh- uh, sh- Shamans, why are they demons? Is there a fluff reason? Has that ever come out anywhere? Ooh, I did not notice that. I know um, there's one weird side effect. This one weird, click here for this one weird side effect. <laughs> weird uh, fact. <laughs> um, Nurgle hates you. Anything that's riding a demonic mount usually gets the demon keyword, uh, but that is right. what, uh, so like, 
the Lord of Slanish on Demonic Mount or, or something like that. But Enlightened are on discs, so shouldn't they have the yeah, demon but not, key? but not always. You can model them to be on, on oh, foot. Maybe so that's maybe it's up. just you had to pick one or the other, and they went they went the moral route. That uh, basically answers my question. All right. Well, I'm glad I could uh, be a problem solver here. Um, sure. Do they, they have the mortal, or are they Arcanite? Uh, what was there? Oh, I think maybe they're Gore. Is, gore, the, that's it, yeah. I was going to say they have a weird thing where they're not mortals, even though you think, I don't know. There's You really have to, if you are if you are doing something that relies on what keywords, there's a lot of, you have to pay real close attention to who's got what in this. Yeah, but, yeah uh, can't assume. Yeah. Um, Eric, anything on these anything on these units that uh, jumped out at you? Um, yeah, I mean, as far as the models themselves, I think the aesthetic is super unique. Um, you know, the the uh, and, or unless you wanted to talk more about uh, the the units or the roles. Um, yeah, anything the, else? Yeah, I mean, I think that the they did a really good job with the aesthetic through this. Is you know, being a, a very ornate and you know, there's a little bit of a Egyptian kind of feel in some of this stuff, um, but uh, I don't. Know, I think they just a really good job of creating a super unique mortal zinch um, kind of look and feel that didn't exist before. Um, and then on top of that, all of the bird themes, just taking that to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, uh, Vince Torella is is going to be probably. I'm assuming because he was talking about it beforehand. Um, the idea of of um, is it the screamers are the like manta ray things, right? Yeah. Um, of having, I'm sure he's going to put uh, enlightened on top of you know surfing on top of screamers, mm-hmm. um, which I think is cool. So I mean, I just think that there's a yeah, there's a lot of cool um, layers to this, from you know the 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 acolytes to the zangors, um, and then some of the demon stuff mixed in. But then I also am really curious about the they put a lot of different kind of hero type things in here and just kind of slid them in that I'm really intrigued by. For one, I had a, a little bit of a problem always uh, kind of seeing how the Zangor fit in to it, but I, you know, aesthetically I enjoyed them. I, I didn't always connect with uh, how they would group up. So I, I took a little reading to, to see, you know, like how those different pieces fit together. Um, but the one that, so, int- go ahead. The, and, and to that real quick. So like where the, the acolytes are doing the work inside of the cities and kind of able to disguise themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, in these different roles, the Zangors are out in the world trying to find artifacts and places of power. And, um, one of the things you were talking about the, you know, that, uh, you know, the, in, in, the circles, concentric circles, you know, the timeline, there's a part where, uh, Sigmar all of a sudden sees a pattern and sees that Zinch has been targeting these different places of power. And so I think the Zangor are, a big part of that, like just send them out into the realms and just try and find as much of these kind of weird, um, eldritch things that they can find. Um, yeah, sure. So it's, when, and when you think, you know, when you think about the mortal realms, like there's more of them that are uncivilized than are actually, you know, yeah. urban at this point. So that, that does make sense. Um, I, I, I kind of feel what you're saying a little bit and that they, at least to me, they seemed, very specific to what you're dealing with, but I guess the way I reconcile that is when we get a, a, a look at some of these the, the units and Zinch's employ. For the most part, it, it's pretty much like a cross section. It's only it's only some of the stuff that he's utilizing, and like for the the god of mutation, um, 
there, there's more that he has out in the world that we just don't have units for, models for, rules for. But like, it, it's just one of the examples of ways that he can he can change somebody, like sure. a human being. Because I think a lot of the Zangors end up being mutated humans, um, and that helps me sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I got it. Uh, and then I guess uh, what uh, one of the other things I really liked about this was. You can read these unit descriptions. You can read further back into how these different cults are organized. And then you can go down into the army itself and you have uh, War Scroll Battalions and, uh, uh, you know, bigger, um, you know, like so the, the small battalions, but then the, the big uh, ones that collect other things like the Eternal Conflagration or whatever, you know, that pull all these ones together and give you, like, if you saw something in that background, you're like, wow, I think that's really cool. I'd like to do that. You can come down here and it gives you a guide like, hey, you want to do that? Here's an example, you know, or the reverse can be true. Like you might, you might look at something and say, oh, this looks kind of like this battalion is pretty interesting. And you can go back up into the background and read more about it. Like it, it has a, it has some nice strong linkages to get a real thematic army down on the, on the board. Um, however you want to do it. Absolutely. Um, the I think I mentioned uh, that my you know clan rats um, are are a molder or my my skaven are a molder and I was just like the idea of them being part of Zinch and so that the transcendental change would be a really great one for a clan molder um, kind of fit in chaos you mm, know sure yeah like a um, unholy alliance uh, you know because we see a lot of of Nurgle and, and Skaven alliances but that that's one yep. that would make sense why Zinch and, and Skaven might be working together so. yeah all right well any other thoughts on the uh, battle tome itself guys um, I like the direction they're heading with the battle tome as a whole mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it, it's getting closer and closer to the army books of old which I'm all for and I know it's a different topic, but it just makes me all the more um, jazzed to see what we have in store with the new Stormcast book. Sure. There's uh, yeah, a ton of customization, and what I really liked is that they uh, remembered that there's more than more than one way to play, and so they have like the uh, Path to Glory warband tables in here. So if you don't, if you, it's not all 100% built around match play. Like there's you, this Battle Tome supports all three ways to play, which I thought was a a great yeah. move on their part. So, yeah, I think that's another. I think, I think I kind of prefer a lighter battle tome that sticks with, you know, the fluff, the the models, and um, some, you know, some this in the statistics or the war scrolls. And I kind of wish, I kind of want the. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, if you're getting a new army, you need points, and so where else would you put them? Uh, but I kind of wish that some of that just stayed with the general's handbook. So it's like, again, it's that one place to go because what, you know, if the general's handbook two comes out and some of these points have changed, okay, so which points am I using kind of stuff? So single source of truth is a little tough when you're updating in too many places, mm-hmm. but overall I think it's uh, got a lot of, of cool stuff in it and, um, if you're playing Zinch, if you're interested, and in, uh, hopefully someday I'll play some Zinch, uh, I think this battle tome gives you tons to work with. Two more points for the story phase. A, Zinch may know where Slanesh is. Like, I, I guess the, the idea being is, what's next for Zinch? One, he knows where, he knows where Slanesh is. Like, how does that work? And two, 
um, somewhere in there it says that Zinch does have at least one end goal and that he's conjuring a mighty spell, and who knows what that is. Mm, sure. Um, uh, the Slanesh point is actually a real good one. It, it mentions early on in the great game, it's talking about them plotting against each other, the, the Chaos Brothers, uh, and it specifically mentions, um, if you know the full tale, it was Zinch's plotting that led to Slanesh's absence. Yeah. Uh, so... You got that piece, uh, and uh, the, one of the cults, the cult Cognita. So we went through like the demonic, the nine different demonic things. There's uh, nine different um, sort of master cults, and the uh, it's rumored that the cult Cognita know the truth behind Slanesh's long absence. So, um, yeah, I think absolutely he's got he's got a hand in that game. It'd be interesting to see where that plays out. Uh, Thanks. It is nice, as also with the the long spell, like given, hey, there is there's a a greater overall something that he's working towards, uh, even if he's happy to have his followers, you know, work against themselves because he enjoys the plotting so much. It's nice to be goal oriented, <laughs> right? Yeah, I just have to know it's going somewhere, right? Sure, so. it's not just a dog chasing cars. <laughs> the hero phase. In the hero phase, we turn our attention to those of you who want to get started in the Age of Sigmar or share this game with your friends. Guys, we had our second Madison monthly Warhammer night. Yeah, uh, going from strength to strength, I think, is the most modest way I could put it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had had a fantastic kind of some growth even. um, Getting the the word out a little bit more, um, telling a few more people again, having... Um, so, some people talk a little bit more about it. We've had a in in part of that too. Also had a little bit more activity on our Facebook group. You know, talking about the upcoming event was really good to try and start some discussions on that, which was fun. Uh, we ended up uh, we had twelve the first week, um, and then we had eighteen this last time. And yeah. uh, really, really jazzed that that that's the case. And uh, be interested on your guys' thoughts on on why I would see that bump. These two stores were pretty close to each other, uh, and I would I'd credit. I mean, some is just going to be you know we've got a sample size of two, right? So who knows? But uh, so some might just be normal variation. But I think some of it is you know is from people like Eric saying like, okay, you know, we did this. Now I'm going to post pictures of it. Make sure that people are aware that it happened, and there were a lot of people, and you know, post up, hey, I had a great time. And, all that sort of thing. So it wasn't just setting it up the first time. It was having that follow-up uh, so that people saw it is a thing. Um, yep. To the extent that, you know, there were, there were some people walking around like, wow, you know, they were on this on the second night. Like, I Where am I going to get a game? Like all the, there's so many people in here and, and tables filled up. So um, I, yeah, I very I, much a, uh, if you build it, they will come vibe from, from the whole experience. Right. Now you do bring up an interesting point, though, because uh, we we were actually a little bit too big for that space because the the game night, the Warhammer night at that particular location, um, isn't used to having a ton of people. So they've also got other board games and stuff going on that night, mm-hmm. and so we were kind of squeezing up. Um, they had to kind of figure out a way to get another table in there for us, um, uh, and so you know it, it creates that that issue of limited space you know uh if we keep growing you know what are we how are we gonna fit everybody kind of thing right it's a problem but it's a good problem yeah for sure Uh. um and and that 
And I think, um, you know, one of the things we talked about too is everybody, it's only been the second time and we put out that the adventure point system, which encourages people to find new players that they've never played before or at least somebody they've never played in this in this season, this three-month period. And uh, I found people really took that to heart. People were really looking for um, new people to play against, being very intentional. Um, and, uh, you know, and some of that too, you know, you play the same people you play over and over. Um, but I, I feel like that, that, that energy, that spirit, that va- core value that we kind of um, started the group with is already starting to take root. Yeah, well, I think it's important to get that out to begin with when maybe it's the, the, the group is going to be smaller than it will be in the future such that we don't fall into the same ruts of just playing the same people over and over, even though a little bit larger than what we're used to. Maybe it's not our immediate group of friends, but the next size larger. But as time goes on, you want to make sure that that sort of vein continues, and uh, I, th- I think it will be. All signs point to point to that direction, I think. Yeah, it's you know, and it's not like there's some huge reward associated with it or anything. It's you know, you get Wait, there's some... not a reward. <laughs> well, uh, not. Then what? Are, then what am I even? Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's all, Eric thought up a, a title, right? It's adventurer and grand adventurer, or legendary adventurer, uh, legendary adventurer, legendary yep. adventurer, and you know, it's you know, I don't know about you guys spouses but mine mine is not gonna be you know high-fiving me when i walk through the door and say guess what honey i'm a legendary adventurer you know it's i'll high-five you well i appreciate it um but uh but just that small tweak that like we talked about like uh, getting your indicators out there here's here's what we're looking for right here and there's right now there's there's no incentive for people who won their game because what we don't want is you know people to come out and be trying to kick the teeth out of a brand new player so uh, and that's why i've been losing because <laughs> i mean it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah you know, once it once it starts mattering then the the gloves will come <laughs> off and the iron jaws will really start yeah um, <laughs> no, uh i guess what was another thing i wanted to bring up about this is we knew um one advantage of the facebook group is uh we're advertising it gave people somewhere to come you know whatever whatever um platform you use for that communication but then new players could be you say, Hey, I'm interested. I'm going to, I'm thinking of coming out or what should I bring or, you know, get that communication in advance. They, they see all that going on. So we, we had one player, I, I played against a guy for his, uh, uh, Brian for his very first age of Sigmar game ever. But having that communication in advance, I knew he was going to be there. I knew what army was going to have. So I knew who to look out for. So I'd have, you know, make sure I spotted him. And I knew that he was coming from, uh, having played war machine and hordes and having played some of that myself, I knew that uh, I think I could be a good matchup for him where I can use some of that, use some of the verbiage that he's used to. Uh, I know probably what kind of game, you know, if he enjoys War Machine Hordes, I know that he's probably going to want to play matched. He's probably going to, you know, try and play it real clean. Um, you know, just uh, was able to, we were able to find a new player and try to match them up with somebody who's going to um, be be the right fit for them to welcome them in and, and get, and he had a great time. Um, he was real excited. He was posting afterwards about, uh, being excited for the, the next week. And, nice. um, you know, he's been, yeah, I didn't realize that that was his first game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. So, uh, so that was cool. We had, we had a couple, uh, first time, first time age of Sigmar players. So, yeah, yeah. I, I played two games, uh, against 
two people for their, I think it was their first time both. Um, one was a um, uh, high elf, I guess it's kind of like the Swift Talk stuff, a little bit different stuff. Um, and then uh, I played against some, uh, uh, oh, what are they, just the Auric. Um, just the Auric. Yeah. What's what's the 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 generic orc um, uh, faction? I think they're just orcs, aren't they? Greenskins. Greenskins. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah they so, don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it was fun, and it was fun seeing different stuff on the table and just playing through a couple of uh, rounds and just trying to get them familiar with it. And everyone seemed to have a really good time. Um, and uh, you know, I was I was glad too. This particular store didn't have as much terrain um, as as our the, the story went to the first week. And so we had to kind of ask everybody to kind of bring some. And luckily we were able to fill enough tables and, and do that sort of thing too. So that was a little bit stressful. I wasn't sure how we were going to pan out there, but it seemed to work all right. Yeah. Um, speaking of – well, so uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the, the terrain issue here in the hobby phase coming up. Uh, as far as this goes – and. You know the reason we cover this is if you're looking to do something similar in your own community, you know, try to figure out how to get. Because really, it was the we were aware there were some other people playing in the area, but it was really just kind of the four of us, uh, Paul, Aaron, Eric, and I, kind of playing each other again and again. And uh, this was an effort, kind of spearheaded by Eric, to let's see, let's see who else is out there. So our, our next step, we're going to keep doing. We're we're kind of doing a. Uh, an introductory lap of all the different game stores to yeah. on their on their typical game nights. So it yeah. just happened to be Monday nights. This next one will be on a Thursday because that's when the uh, tabletop games are, are playing over at uh, Misty Mountain, the uh, East Side store, and uh, we'll see who we can scoop up there. And it may be Age of Sigmar players, and may be playing with a big crowd like that. And so people are maybe playing 40k or something else. Say, oh, there's people here who play Age of Sigmar. Maybe I should get into yeah. that. So you uh, yeah. you kind of wave the flag in a bunch of different places, and um, I, I think we'll have to solve for later on is is do we settle down somewhere to give it stability, or do we keep rotating? But uh, for now, that's that's the plan is to uh, increase visibility all across uh, all the all the different venues where people might be playing to get as many stragglers as we can. Absolutely. The hobby phase. In the hobby phase, we want to stoke the flame of creativity for hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. So for this um, uh, Madison uh, War Gamers you know, game night, um, like I mentioned, the store did not have a lot of terrain for us to use. I think they maybe had one table's worth of terrain, and we uh, ended up, uh, what was our total, eight games? Um, uh so I think there was uh, seven tables and then one played a game twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had seven tables to, and, and we've been playing four by four, which is a little bit smaller, which yeah. means we don't have to have as much terrain. Um, thousand points or um, kind of uh, has been kind of the the norm uh, just to get people started and get people bringing you know being able to get done uh, uh, at least one game in the night, maybe two. And but we didn't have a ton of terrain, so we had to kind of have an ask of of the everybody to say, "Hey, if you've got terrain, bring it in." Um, and so you know, I think that set a number of us on kind of lit a fire underneath us 
to get some of our terrain built and and started working on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had just some initial starts at terrain for a while, and um, it, you know, made me take inventory of what I actually have and what I don't. And, and uh, you know, I've I've mentioned before I'd love to have a table at home, but here is a reason beyond that have have enough to be able to you know supply uh, at least one table if I could out and about if it's needed like this. Um, and, uh, so Aaron was talking about some of the considerations that come something like this when you, when you are going to be making train that isn't just going to be sitting always at home. Uh, how does that, how does it change the, uh, the planning or the concept and, you know, what are some of the questions that come up along the, those lines? Sure. And I guess I started thinking about it because, um, we had a lot of enthusiasm with our, our, our game night and some of the folks, more representative of the areas that we were playing it um also maybe felt that itch after the fact of how do how do we get terrain and what sort of terrain do we want and they were in a unique position to maybe start supplying some stuff but but the question came up as to what we should supply i mean there's a wide range i mean we're playing aos here the, the sky's the limit in terms of uh the locales and the the aesthetics of the terrain that we'd be using both um like the official gw stuff versus if we're going to make something um and what what's the best way to go about it what's the best way to reach a certain uh, level amount um, a critical mass of terrain to make uh, these hobby nights as successful as they can be um and so one way to go about it is kind of the way you guys did is you you took the stuff that you had already started or components to your 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 display boards and things and and use that as a as a stepping stone a a, a jumping off point to develop different tables especially because i think a lot of it um was aesthetically united in some ways like your guys's um endless desert uh display board eric's um death display board it, it was a great place to start um it already done already made and um you, you are able to take advantage of that but then i guess where do you where do you go from there um it's yeah i think i mean i think you pick a point there is that i um it was for me it was really Anytime, like with an army, you know, when you when you finally get your theme, and you stop making all the decisions, like you've made a bunch of decisions, and then that allows you the freedom to kind of just get to work. Um, I think the same is true if you want to build. Just you you can definitely build random terrain, but if you want to have some sort of theme that you want to stick to, it means when you get a piece together, you can say, "Well, I can either go here or here." and make a decision go with it and you already have kind of your palette picked out you might have your already have the paints exactly what you're going to do the techniques all that kind of stuff and that really makes it easier to get get that um, piece of terrain finished because you know which realm which area you're putting it into and you know, once you sometimes our paralysis is the it can be anything right the decisions mm-hmm. have yet to be made once you make the decisions then you can go quickly sure and uh speaking of quickly like it so prior to this, the largest model I had done was the Cygor. Well, technically this Dreadstone Blight is way bigger, like way more surface area than that. But, and, and it's a pretty detailed piece, but you can get away with, you know, I, I think it looks pretty good and I did not have to be as careful or clean with it. Uh, and it, it was still real effective on that. So, uh, I think removing, removing the barriers of worrying about, wow, this is a big model and it has a lot of detail and the what's it going to look like you remove those and all of a sudden you start moving pretty quick and getting some terrain together in a, in a hurry so what did you i mean of the stuff uh i know do you guys prefer um 
or suggest people go with the kits that GW provides. They have you know all the pieces. You, you know they give you things. They um, you glue them together. You paint them up. Dry brush them, etc. It's really is that fast. Or would you recommend? You know, I I did early on a bunch of just really fast hills, like super fast. Like mm-hmm. you take pink foam and you tear it up, you paint it, you dry brush it, you scratch it up, do a bunch of you know, weathering your impressions into it to kind of change the texture or whatever you paint it up. What what kind of what do you like about the different directions? Well, you, you guys kind of already talked about the pros and cons of each, and and they both offer, I guess, a, a speedy product just for different reasons. Uh, Eric's pre-built terrain, you can sort of uh, make early decisions that then just inform everything that you put together. Or Davey's um, pre, like the GW stuff, is that it, it paints up real quick um, and and there's, I don't know, all the, all the, the bits and pieces are already there. Like, you're, you're not, you don't have to spend time developing it. Um, but then you sort of maybe lose out on some of the cohesion and and uniformity of, of like, a scratch built terrain um i guess i think to be successful maybe you want to go a little bit of both especially depending i mean you're you're utilizing a or you're you're i don't know taking advantage of a wide range of players and if everybody starts bringing their own terrain everybody has their own perspective on what they want to see on their own tables and if you can offer a range of the types of stuff that they see i think you'll be better off for it so i didn't answer your question i said both (laughs) well (laughs) I think uh, I think there's some other considerations too. Like, if it's something, it's one thing if it's going to be in your house and being played with, you know, uh, just whenever you have a house game. It's another if you're going to be bringing it in. and There may be a couple games, you know, in that one night uh, played on it. So all of a sudden, uh, durability uh, becomes becomes something you want to consider. Um, this one thing that I found the kit was pretty nice uh, is that they're they're plastic so they're not super heavy weight but you're also it's not like um it's not like foam uh which may chip and start to show through um maybe faster than some other things um so there's one thing the other thing with the with the scratch build is it's uh there may be not real complicated skills to learn but there is a new skill set to learn to be able to make it as well as associated you know whatever associated tools you may you may bring to bear so there's uh, that upfront investment in it, um, although you do have uh, a much more sky's the limit situation there, where you can you can make something. Uh, I guess the other thing I'd say is, if you're going to spend the time, if you're going to spend the time making terrain, you want it to do a couple things. You want it to look cool, and you want it to have an effect on the table, right? So I've I have one piece that's a big sort of chaos summoning star or whatever it was from a, a 40k thing that I did. It's just a eight-pointed star sitting. It doesn't block line of sight. It doesn't do anything like that. And uh, the guys who were playing on it, I don't think they were using um, any of the random terrain stuff. I think they're pretty new. So they're like, I oh, will leave that. Well, if, if it doesn't have any, you know, mystical or damned effect, then it's basically a big flat, you know, visual thing, but doesn't really have any effect on the game. Uh, so you want to think about that. You know, if you make a hill, make it big enough that it could block line of sight or or uh, make it look like it could have some sort of terrain feature or effect so it, it actually is contributing to the, the game on the board, I guess. Yeah, I think when you build your own terrain, you have both that double-edged sort of like you can make it to play in the game in unique ways, but it can also be accidentally hard to play with. Oh, sure, um, yeah. 
you know, and, and you kind of arc you know, creating it and, and constructing it in a way that adds to the gameplay and be a part of that skill set too. Um, but I think it's absolutely the way to go if you want to create something unique in the realm, right? Uh, for your, and, and I'm really kind of, I kind of really liked bringing terrain, even though it's more convenient to have terrain at the game shop or whatever. I kind of liked having a table that was all the same terrain and that we, you know, I, I didn't get, you got to play in the endless desert against Sylvaneth and it'd be cool to have that opportunity every week for different people to play in that same set, you know? Yeah. I, I really liked because you, there were, we had several boards that ended up being, being themed. Uh, Paul brought his stuff and he's, he's kind of done those as cohesive boards. So you could look, you'd look at each battlefield and have its, the battlefield would have its own character to it. And that was pretty cool. Well, yep. That's kind of what makes some of the tables that are like the, the local hobby or hobby-ish events so memorable is because they, they all sort of tell a story. The, the Wapakas, the, the Holy Wars, right. et cetera. Right. Um, and I mean, people are talking about those because of the, the story. I mean, obviously the high quality of the actual individual pieces, but then the cohesion and the, the, the stories that each of those tables tell. And I mean, no reason that you wouldn't want to bring that to your local game club. Sure. In fact, if you did that, maybe people would come to your game club like a tournament and then your numbers would really swell. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be swell. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, Good. man. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, it was uh, it was kind of a happy happy side effect of this uh, this monthly game night experiment that we're, we're doing here is that we happened upon a store that couldn't supply it, and so we got to see what it was like if, if players brought their own and i know that's a that's a thing with uk events right like south coast players are supposed to bring five pieces of terrain a piece if i'm if i'm not mistaken um, five jeez yeah well because if you're supposed to have you know what eight to ten on the on the table uh then as as soon as you've got two players bringing five a piece then they have they can supply a table between the two of them so right on. yeah um which i guess you know it's that's not I don't know if I've ever seen that really here in the in the states, but uh, it it gives you a way to have that many players and that many tables at an event and not have to supply that that many pieces of terrain. Yeah, uh, which take which it, we take it for granted. Yeah, well I I know I was uh, talking to Alex Gonzalez at Wapaka and he was talking about having uh, taken delivery of fifty crucibles of blood and 50 overlord bastions which uh needed to be assembled for adepticon and uh ouch i i shed tears for his uh his sanity or that of his team because man that is that is a task right there yeah all right so definitely you know if we all kind of said hey how many how can we get as much on the board as we can um i don't think it's like anything i think it's worth you know working towards getting it painted up get it on the table build, you know construct it put it together get it on the table and then make sure it gets painted up you know pick a pick a place pick a realm pick a environment or a story that you want to tell with your terrain and make them all match so that when you put them on the table it feels like a cohesive uh environment yeah. and uh, i think you're good to go Think about how you're going to transport, and will it survive the transportation? So, oh yeah, yeah. just big plastic bins. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, another thing where, uh, yeah, I mean, foam stacks pretty well. You know, works pretty well. But yeah, you got to be careful with it too. Sure. All right, should we uh, 
move on to the campaign phase here? Let's do it. All right. The campaign phase. In the campaign phase, we explore how the plastic hits the table. Rules, scenarios, new tactics, and narrative campaigns. So for this episode, we'd gone through the Disciples of Zinch. Uh, I talked a lot about that. Uh, and the the models and the rules have, have been the subject of many a podcast so far. And there's been some list building, like here's here's the, you know the new hotness or, or what have you. Uh, we're thinking of taking a different tack on this. Like, what if you're building a list uh, for a narrative environment? What would that What would that look like? Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look uh, at how you might go about that. And my first thought was, you know, we always talk about narrative versus matched, but there's some room for overlap, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so for me, the idea of the acolytes hiding within the city. It was really intriguing. Now, I have kind of one part. One of the units, the heroes to use, um, and I haven't dug through the scroll, scrolls or the battalions or anything like that heavily, but the Fate Master really stood out to me as um, uh, really cool. It's a, it's a, um, it's not a demon. It's one of the kind of human. Um, and when it, we talked about in the in the battle tome that often. Uh, a cult will have like one or two or three of these as kind of an inner circle and then they'll have a bunch of acolytes and again kind of packed to our last conversation about like using models from different ranges like the Arimon model from 40k like I would love to have that as a set one of the kind of centerpieces of an army and make that a fate ma- a fate master mm-hmm. um, and then you know maybe a couple other uh, you know fate masters with them so there's two or three that kind of work together um, and then stick more to uh, the the mortals, um, and even maybe you know I know I like to do a lot of borrowing, but I mean like using some of the free guild range as you know um, instead of knights of chaos, um, using you know um, free guild knights, you know, so that they've you know like we saw in the city of secrets that they they look like you know order. Um, they're dressed in order armor, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're wearing star eagles in their on their helms, um, but they're they're corrupt, you know that sort of thing. So kind of like a a free guild army, uh, but I do like the the acolytes are super. Uh, the mo- new models are really cool, and so you know just having that um, some way to tie in that aesthetic so it feels like they have just sprung out of a city, um, uh, and you know kind of morphed into the you know what you see before you i think would be a a really cool start yeah uh if you can uh you can tell the story of that uh cult turning trader and and where that goes and where that um i don't how would you if you had those knights how would you you know find some way to signify like hey these are these are turncoats would you would you you know just have some subtle conversions with it or uh not even like the i like the idea of um them hiding uh, zinch symbols like underneath their armor, and so like like little things peeking out or eyeballs, you know, kind of hidden in some places that maybe you wouldn't see right away. Um, and so, kind of like the that they've tucked, they've tried to hide some of that stuff. They've tucked it underneath, or or just kind of, you know, it's it's a, a hidden like you know like someone might hide their necklace, 
you know, but it's kind of hanging out or still mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to like inscribe runes on the armor such that it looked like they are just showing up, like or somehow they were hidden uh, at one point? Mm-hmm. Or like I don't know. Now we're getting fancy, but like under like <laughs> black light or something, they they appear. Right? <laughs> There's got to be a way to do that. That'd be cool. So you you paint them uh, normal like uh, knights, but then use a, a ultraviolet paint, <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, literally bring a black light to be like, ha ha. Check it out. I think I think an alternative would be to uh, paint those runes on there pretty pretty lightly, um, like real subtly, and then have a couple that are, are a little uh, a little more uh, large yeah. and in charge. Or like yeah. your war boss from Paca. Oh, no, 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 no. Holy, the, the, the team the Holy Havoc? Did. Yeah, so after each game, what, you're drawing more and more runes on them. Mm. Painting more more runes on them. Yeah, yeah. You did it once, you could do it again. <laughs> like every game? <laughs> <laughs> every turn of every game. I, I, I feel like negativity blue. coming from you, Eric. Like like you don't want it bad <laughs> enough. I don't. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. We're looking for a yes and. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I just one-upped you. No. <laughs> That's true. You got me. I'm going, for, I'm going for it. Oh, all right. You got it. Um, well, in that case, then you start drawing tattoos on yourself, one-upped. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a dedication, really. It's it's about, you know, not being a chump. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of the the idea of a genesis of so eric's gone through like here's here's some things that capture my imagination about the you know the book itself um what i did and i we talked about this when we were talking about the book is uh kind of went through tried to find something that would that i found interesting and could you could you build off of that and then i also decided to make it uh match like two thousand points match play legal or whatever so that you're you're making your narrative while still um still being able to play if somebody says hey i want to do match play and they're not going to fuss that you don't have three battle line or something like that um uh, so for that i went for a core i went uh looking around i was like i'd like to use because those kyrak acolytes I, I think they look pretty boss um so let me let me see a way i could use them i looked at this uh witchfire coven and these are uh witchfire covens are true disciples of the weird flame and many a foe has suffered blazing annihilation at the hands of its sorcerer brethren incinerated by wave after wave of arcane fireballs so all right, so this, this is what we got. Uh, it's a it's a war scroll battalion uh, has two units of Kyrak acolytes and one unit of Zongor enlightened. So there's you've already defined the core of your army. You got a couple battle line in there. Uh, let's bulk them out to be bigger. We'll make the acolytes twenty, uh, and then I I took one more uh, unit of acolytes outside that to to get the uh, rest of the battle line. So then I'm looking. All right, so what what do we got? Like they're they're really good with warp flame with the uh, Warp flame or weird flame or whatever they happen to be calling it. Uh, what else would they? What else would they? You know, be present in this case. And uh, I liked the idea of uh, putting a whole bunch of uh, brimstone um, horrors down, uh, and they're only forty points for a unit of ten, right? Um, so that you know, you'd be thinking like the the sort of side effects of of throwing all these fireballs around is that you're starting to um, you know, as as the flames like drip off of things, they become these little brimstone horrors. So they they start to coalesce around this uh, battalion. And thinking of it and how it might play on the table, you could have this you know wave after wave. I think I, I put four units of ten uh, bogging down somebody while you you flame up over the top. Um, 
continue with that theme, went with some uh, flamers, uh, units of uh, flamers and exalted flamers. And then uh, some heroes leading it, uh, I think a, a fate master and then a Zangor um, shaman who can boost those enlightened and then gave them artifacts that were, were kind of appropriate to the, uh, to the theme. Uh, and rather than just, you know, picking whatever the, the most, uh, you know, the fate master, I took some fire sounding things like the warp fire blade and soul burn, um, which means that anytime he rolls a six to wound, he's causing two mortal wounds on top of everything else. That should be fun with sort of the, the, uh, Zinch command trait and the shaman i was looking at some of his stuff like there's a spell treacherous bond where you can uh basically shuck wounds off on something else i figure he's you'd have maybe a unit of brimstone horrors following him around and he'd be you know effectively using those like as if they're kind of feeding his essence and then uh aura of mutability it uh it's a ability that feeds the flames of other units like increases their um, to wound rolls or whatever so it like makes their flames more powerful so just finding a way to kind of stay within that tell that story of a of a unit you know focusing on one the uh, uh pyrophane sort of cult idea of uh of zinch as a whole uh, and it comes out to a 2000 point force that you, you can play match play it's not going to be the you know sale hurling 90 blood letters for you know extremists that other things are you know minding but it I think it's got some play, and uh, it, it seemed pretty fun to put together. I uh, I, I like that idea, um, mm-hmm. especially focusing on sort of a, a subgroup of of each. Um, I very much am a, an, an organizer and a categorizer, and you could definitely do that. Maybe not to the same scale. I don't know if you get two thousand points out of it, but you could almost do that for every one of the those like nine groups. Sure. Um, uh, so if you're going to do uh, the transcendental change, they're all about the mu- mutations. You'd have an army full of Zangors and I don't know the, the Cursling probably. Um, it wouldn't necessarily be a big force, but like you'd able be able to group them all together and have sort of a smaller. I don't know if it's a, a skirmishy type of force or something, uh, something that needs to be beaten before a larger force gets brought in. Yeah. Or if you're going to deal with the host duplicitous, duplicitous. Um, <laughs> You'd be dealing with you'd be dealing with like maybe the the magister or you know a bunch of the chiroc acolytes, um, and so each in, like individually those groups could maybe can be combined in different ways, be put at odds in, in, in different ways. Um, there's different ways to thematically group a, a wide range of this release um, all all sort of all together. Um, but I think the burninators is the, the, <laughs> the obvious one that sure. maybe the one I would have picked as well. I, yeah, and I like, you know, you can take one of those, like your, your one with uh, physical change and mutation. The, uh, uh, you could have it going all the way from an acolyte who's relatively unchanged to, you know, to the uh, Zangors to Chaos Spawn who are in there as well. You know, have, have like, here's, here's, where, here's where this all leads to, guys, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. It's like, it'd be, it'd be cool to have that full spectrum where it goes ah, it's too bad a mutilith vortex beast doesn't have the zinch keyword because he he seems like he'd fit in nicely it's with that yeah, yeah. Um, well there's the there's one for your open or narrative play you know i that it seems like you tell a cool story about that um and uh I'll let some of that go you're saying something about host duplicis well no so for the host arcanum like oh, here, yeah. they're just all sorcerers i mean you sure. just group together all your sorcerers so i mean these are maybe small challenges um, things to be overcome and uh, on a smaller scale definitely for like the open play i think would is mm-hmm. how i would i would utilize this, this idea yeah absolutely uh yeah i mean i think that's i think what's cool about it is you can 
you can see the way that stories could be told that, you know, so put something together for narrative or open that, you know, breaks the rules of match play, but tells a cool story and, you know, isn't, isn't being done just to like, you know, turn everything up to, you know, superpower status or whatever. Like it, it fits into that background, find a way to, uh, make something cool like that. Yeah. It, it, sort of puts takes you to a certain place it, it, it puts you in the in the story in the setting mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things that i love most about this game yeah, absolutely all right well any other thoughts about uh putting together a force like this yeah i think i mean i was just yeah i was looking up a couple of things on the app to see what else you know because there's a ton of the um slaves to darkness that can take the zinch keyword to, to fit into this and um but yeah i mean i feel like they give you a ton of just within Zinch, they give you a, a ton of different kind of groups to to start imagining off of whether they're you know more flame or more mutation or more um, deceit and and I'm you know I hope as you dig into this that they play that way too right mm-hmm. that there's the shenanigans in the right place uh, to to fit that look and feel yeah so. yeah yeah even thinking about like there's the there's the puppeteer faction that'd be interesting like go narrative and have you know have some things like that'd be a a way to even pull something in from another grand alliance like you were talking about you could straight up have some free peoples fighting on them and that you know that might be uh them seated in with just a few zinch um models uh and that would be that would be your uh puppeteer faction that'd be cool i I will say none of us put uh, lord of change model into our army we've already covered how we're much too intimidated or the old old that metal. was on like a <laughs> yeah man i've got a i've got a uh the old metal bloodthirster sitting from my 40k days up here and i'm like man that guy's cool he's he's cool but uh he's he's a chunk and he's like tiny tiny compared to the to the new greater demons the newest so, ones, yeah. yeah um no, I know that uh, we've got a couple, play- uh, at least one player in town who's got uh, the Lord of Change and looking forward to, to seeing that guy get painted. So uh, maybe out. maybe I'll get my hands on one one of these days and have some fun. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I think there is a battalion in there that's like um, Kairos plus uh, two other Lords of Change, Aaron. So awesome. uh, maybe that's what you could start with. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Go for it. All right. Well, anybody got anything else they want to touch on from uh, City of Secrets or the Zinch Battle Tome or anything we've talked about tonight? No, I think that doesn't. All right. I think I think there's a, a ton uh, to work with here, both from a narrative standpoint, but there's a ton of new models and really cool stuff to play with. Um, and then in addition to that, like seeing, getting down at the ground level in some of these cities has been really cool. So um, this is where Zinch plays the, is the strongest and and hopefully we'll see some more. I don't know. Do you guys want to see some more of this kind of low fantasy um, storytelling? You guys think that has a has more more room to grow inside well, yeah, of uh, it, Age of Sigmar? It's interesting because I, I feel like it's simultaneously low and high fantasy, right? So like you got the people on the poor end don't have magic or you know don't have much, but like there's some really crazy fantastical stuff going on in that. You know, like the city itself is you know. Uh, sitting right next to a shard of an entire world that fell down and there's the oculum up above i think it's a different split um but if you're talking about like the the sort of smaller scale like not 
not a grand battle or whatever. Yeah, I, I I find that pretty I find that pretty interesting. So yeah, it was I found it refreshing. I'm glad they did it. Um, but I, I I'm looking forward to getting back to some of the the bigger the bigger set pieces, the bigger the bigger movements. Um, if for no other reason, just because I want to flesh out the rest of the races, I suppose. Sure. Um, but I I definitely would love to revisit this sort of stuff as well. Like it, it's a good it's a good sprinkling a good season to taste yeah what did you think of the fact that this was a this was a legends book legends of the age of sigmar um well isn't that what they're for i guess like i i I read maybe two of the other ones um just sort of smaller scale self-contained stories though i guess maybe this one isn't as self-contained as it as it seems at first glance um but i yeah if you were going to brand it one way or the other i think i think this fits into that Sure, uh, but I guess I'm I'm saying that uh, up until now it's been you've either been part of the Realm Gate Wars or you've been Legends of the Age of Sigmar. So do we expect you know maybe whatever is next is you know they're they're not going to just gonna make a bunch of Legends books for the rest of the Age of Sigmar. Maybe there'll be another arc getting put together. Yeah, I'm, I feel yeah, like I I, so. okay. I'm pretty confident that there's going to be uh, sort of a next big big move, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to most. But like I said, I mean I've I've read maybe half of the legends books and I've enjoyed every, every one that I've read there too. So, mm-hmm. All right. It's interesting because I think if there's a big zinch uh, push, it may have been a good year to have the silver tower come out this year alongside of some of that, uh, that fluff. But uh, uh, maybe that means we'll just get the silver tower out some more and, and uh, get into that too. Yeah. With, find uh, some all this new story. Sure. Do you remember silver tower? <laughs> I, I'm literally I looking at the, the the yeah yeah I remember failing. We gotta get uh, we gotta get that uh, weird knob shaman back on our side. That was the uh, was apparently the key to our success. <laughs> so now I'm I'm looking at the the miniatures from it. I gotta get some paint on them among the many projects I'm working on these days. So um, I hid mine under the bed so I don't have to look at it. Oh, <laughs> wise, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Aaron, thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, it was awesome to have you here. And uh, to the folks out there, we tried uh, we tried some slightly different things with the with the story phase. Um, we got a we got a, someone else on here chatting. Let us know um, if you if you like what's uh, what's going on. If you um, if you want us to go back to the old way or if, uh, keep pushing this way to the slight. I thought it'd be a little uh, more brevity on there. We ended up uh, getting pretty in the weeds anyway, but. Uh, um, yeah, we like the thoughts. details. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's close it out. It's time for our reporting. Come discuss the show on the TGA.community forums. Follow us on Twitter at Mortal Realms. Davey is at Red underscore Zeke. Eric is at Stonebook Gamer. A review on iTunes would go a long way to help others find our show and dive into the Age of Sigmar stories. Lastly, if you want to support the show, we have Mortal Realms status tokens available as a free DIY printable download. For only $15 USD plus shipping, you can have 60 full-color, high-quality laser-cut tokens to help you keep track of the synergies on the battlefield. Go to thegamecrafters.com forward slash games forward slash mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens. Uh, it's still recording. Like I feel like sometimes, yep. technically, things fall apart. Yep, we're good. Nice. I like that Eric said yes 
No, he has no idea. Yes. You when you talk, you're creating dead air, <laughs> and then you have to fill the dead air. And you create more dead air, and then you got to fill the dead. It's it's a vicious cycle. I I don't envy you at all. I, I think I think he just insulted my my talking is what I. <laughs> me don't talk good. Yeah, Ooh. Me no t- you beat me to it. I was gonna say it. Yeah. Me no talk so good. <laughs> me fail English. That's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
Uh, but for real, are you sick? Eric? Hmm. I think we have desperately offended him. I did die. <laughs> I mean, if he was on... If he's very weak already. Let's see. To death? Sure. True. Yes, we can. Every second that passes, it becomes more real. Can you hear me now? Real. Can you hear me now? Okay, cool. I was just adjusting my microphone that so that you uh, guys, I'm recording I everybody through this, then I'll have all the audio sitting Mike, right did here. Did you want to record? And, uh, um, we don't have to do any exporting. Thing, or do you want us to record separate? To... Ooh, all right. Then, uh, you you can just hit mute right now and we'll go ahead with coughing. the episode. Um, yeah, so I'll try and just mute every time I have to cough or gag. Uh, or what mic are you using right now, Eric? Sounds good. Yo. Might log off here. Yeah, just might log off. Sweet burn. <laughs> um, I'm using a... So I can do a couple of things. Um, okay. I'm using my headphone, like my just um, okay. iPad, iPod... Type right. headphones. Let me change, and you tell me if this That's is way better, better or worse. And this will be like yep. the, the eye doctor. One okay. or two. Better. Yeah, much much cleaner. Not uh, way better. Okay, not as much cool. buzz that's my, on that one. <laughs> that's so. the scarlet. That's that's my, hmm. that's my girl. Well, yeah. <laughs> let's uh let's steer clear of that. What if I say Since, fuck uh, shit? I'm editing this one, so well, as clean um, as clean there. I'm very offended. Yeah. Okay. Um, quick question. There's a, a button on my mic that I don't know what it does, so I'm gonna. You, Not you, hearing you can hear me right, right now, I assume, right? Yep. Did you, you already hit it? Right now. All right, I'm totally. gonna hit the button and I'm gonna continue to talk and see don't if hear anything. anything to do with it. Might anything. be a mute button. Okay. You do that. Are you talking right now? Not. He's quiet now. I don't hear him at all. Now we can hear you. So it's probably. It sounds like it must have been a mute. Or, no, no, legit. We couldn't or, hear you for a stretch there. What's so. Going on now? That could be a make friends button. All right, so it wasn't mute button. Are you, are you just messing with me? I don't, it's just. Though if it wasn't, that'd be a sweet, like, prank. Seems right? like Make something think that I'm muted. a Zinchian would do. And I, I don't know what so. would I be doing. Ma! Yes. Meatloaf! All right. Wow. <laughs> How so, apropos. Yeah. <laughs> Oi. Aaron, it's good to have you. Hey, it's good to be here. I guess we'll see. Be careful what you're saying. Like, it's let's maybe hold off until it's over, and then you can decide if it was good to have me or not. No, I, I grab life by the horns, and I just I say what I feel at the time. Sure. When okay. he thinks he's gotcha. on mute. Well, I'll hold you to it then. <laughs> I mean, later I can say that you sucked. I I mean I wish you wouldn't. I <laughs> I, I hope you, I hope you don't. Yeah, me too. Really hope not. You you speak your truth. (laughs) Oh man, I used to like yeah. I've I've had like this reoccurring cough. I don't know if it's. I think I'm doing fine. So so I'm 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 gonna say having experienced the same weather as you, that's probably not it. So uh, tuberculosis is a bitch, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm. 
I'm definitely saying that. Uh, I noticed that so far both our little intros well, use the zinch as each pun. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to have to make sure to do my intro first so that it sounds like I... Uh... <laughs> All right. Yeah, I yes. thought about going another way. Mm. I always let you. Okay. All right. Um, so that you guys went that direction. Go for it. I was worried you guys would use my word, and I think it would lose something if it was repeated. I had, I had, uh, I had one other thought, but yeah, I'm. What was the other one I was gonna do? Um. Nope. Oh, I I could say you. Um, what is the saying? All right, uh, I, this is Eric. Give me a zinch. I think, zinch, uh, and I I'll think take you need to go with that. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yeah, All right, good. All right, that's that's the groan worthy. Actually, it's not even groan. You got to chuckle. You got to chuckle. It's a good. Yeah, I'm coming around. All right, so. <laughs> that's legit, guys. My brain, wanted, my brain perceives them both as the same thing. Okay, I, <laughs> I, I like to do where something. that's like I wanted to do a little, little Bowie, a little chit chit changes, but I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't nail it down. Yeah, hey, I think, uh, yeah, I, I like it. You I can know. go this. This is Aaron. I'm into chit 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 changes. And then, and think, then, yeah, <laughs> that Davey and I could come um, in behind you and go <laughs> turn the things yeah. around. Uh, here, here's what say. you can do. Uh, you can you record know. that guys, and guys, we have record the whatever other thing you're considering, and uh, I'll pretend that you have a say in which one you're going to use, and I'll just pick the one I enjoy more. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, gotcha. uh, quick rundown. We won't get I'm in depth in each of these phases before times. we roll no, through, no, but uh, community phase. Whoa. So we we we'll start off give a little talking about what we've been doing lately um as far as if you want to talk about games that you've played uh, talking about games from uh warhammer night is fine when we get to that discussion in the hero phase it'll be less about our specific games and more about um you know the the broader uh issues of like here's how it is doing a monthly night you know the, the more hero phase relevant stuff so community phase um didn't have anything particularly specific. If anyone wanted to bring stuff up, there's a lot of stuff happening as far as news goes. We're not a newscast, but we can... Uh, uh, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get to our announcement oh, sure. thing, yep. so I think okay. maybe we could Sounds just good. chat about um, the, the global thing. At first I thought you were talking about uh, the announcement at the end of the episode. I'm like, wow, Eric, it really is sick. He's not going to make it the whole recording. So, uh, all right. Yeah, let's see. We'll go. Do, do, do. Narrative. <laughs> all right. Um, other things. Story phase. Here's how I envision this going. I'm going to... We'll go act by act. I'll give a synopsis of the acts, which will not include every note I've written about them. And then I've got some talking points at that. So then we'll cycle back around. We'll ask some, you know, kind of broader questions about, um, hey, so, you know, in this act, these things came up. What do you think this means on the bigger scale? Like, saw some clues about where the technology level is and how much time has passed, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, 
Yeah. Sure. Um, when, before you start that act one, I'm going to interrupt you with a, a thought. I guess, do I tell you now, I suppose? So in that, like, before we even get to the act one, maybe it behoove us to just touch on um, the setting in the first place, both both the sure. when and the where, because I felt like for this story specifically, probably more than any of the other ones, yep. the when and the where probably mattered the most. Um, it, it's very much a when and where kind of kind of tale. And just, not that it, we need to dive into, like, just generally just uh, enlighten. Okay. So Sounds good. That's, I have that I mean, that's uh, one of my parts in of some of the talking points for Act 1, but I think it's a good idea so to right touch on it maybe before it kicks off. So Saren's job. We won't be, we won't be uh, real tightly bound to that. Um, so basically, Act 1 will cover, you know, uh, he gets ambushed and gets saved. Act 2, they are uh, trying to get help, and then they get super betrayed, and then they get rescued. In Act 3, it's all at war is the overall things and do a little bit more detail obviously on those so hero phase we'll talk about the what <laughs> all right cool uh that's that's as good as ben curry did for his review so i got halfway mm, okay um right right i read the notes though so i'm i'm good uh yeah, uh, there's a little less in the yeah, battle tone to cover, but uh, uh, are we doing any of the battle? Aaron tone? and or Eric, you wrote a bunch of notes about that. I don't want to hit like the full notes, but like maybe if people just pick out some favorite pieces of that, and then especially if there's anything that speaks to the broader thing uh, of it, which I haven't written anything here, but um, yeah. Yeah, I liked um, the things that I liked the most from the tome was kind of like the structure of, yeah, you know, Zinch's mortal forces and stuff, um, and the the demons, um, kind of the the different towers, uh, and kind of the, the the whatever demon was at the top of that okay. hierarchy, and you know, just kind of like the yeah, there's a lot of that structure that I thought was really cool for for Zinch stuff. Yeah, there's the uh, the nine. Conflagration. Like what are they called? I'm looking for the word. Yeah. Can't find it. Not yeah. cult, but um, con- confluence. It's a c word. Yeah, that's more fiery. Which is one of them. But um, yeah, anyways. yeah. So I thought that was did not have uh, that much crazy no overlap on them too. I was like, I was like, oh man, they're gonna have like, yeah. Like, so they did yeah. represented z- Yeah. Like I w- Yeah. Uh, convocations. Oh, I think. It was is that legit. It? Yeah. All right. You, you know, I love my lists. I'm yeah. like, kudos. Um, yeah, and one of them uh, knows something about Slanish, if I remember correctly. I'll have to take a look in there. So, um, yeah, so uh, back to the notes. Then we got um, Hero Phase, where we talk about the Monthly Night. Hobby Phase, uh, Aaron had a good idea of talking about uh, that big terrain push we did, So, uh, and some of the considerations of you know, instead of doing, we've talked about doing terrain for your own table. This is terrain for a bigger something. Yeah. And then uh, campaign phase, uh, we're going to do a little list building. I think this was your suggestion from a while back, Eric, where we build the uh, narrative yeah. in mind. So I put one list together. Um, I did it. Uh, so I thought we'd do two ways. We could do one that's like a path to glory. We kind of make it on the fly, yeah. like group construct it. And one that I've already done that is uh, 
points-based and meets all the requirements for match play, but is built with a narrative in mind um, to show where the overlap between those ideas could be. And then we wrap up. Rocking? All right. Okay. Sure. Why not both? Sounds great. Rock it, rock it. <laughs> All right. Did you say meat or neat? Um. Oh God! Now I want. Now I want to say meat. <laughs>